to the Best Picture cast. I'm your host, Kieran B. I completed my goal of watching every Oscar Best Picture winner ever and decided to start a podcast to review each one, each episode myself and revolving co-hosts will discuss, assess, and evaluate a different Best Picture winner with the goal to establish a ranking for the entire list. This is not a who should have won podcast. We're here to discuss the inner circle of movies who took home the crown in their respective years. As a disclaimer, this is an opinion-based podcast and a subjective discussion by movie enthusiasts who don't claim to be trained experts. If we destroy your favorite movie or we praise a movie that you think is trash, we encourage you to write us in at our email. Our email is bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. Our social media accounts are at Best Picture Cast. That's Twitter, that's Facebook, that's Instagram, Letterboxd, wherever you want to find us, you can find us at Best Picture Cast on all your podcast platforms. Anyone you know that watches movies, kick us their way, friend or foe. We're always looking for new people to interact with, so uh, come and get us here at Best Picture Cast. And we're back, back rolling along with season four. We've done quite some aggressive epics here with... Um, <laughs> You know, a little Russian roulette, a little little uh, quicksand, trains exploding, journeys down down rivers. We're 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 gonna just keep it in a nice little apartment here. This one. We're going all the way back to the '30s here today. Our first Frank Capra film, and I got quite the squad here to talk about it with me. We'll start off with uh, a couple guys who were here with us for that Lawrence of Arabia journey, and we'll start with uh, Grancy. Grancy, how are you? Doing well. Thank you very much for having me on to talk about this. Uh... This James Stewart uh, classic. That's exactly right. Not just our first Frank Capra, but our first Jimmy Stewart as well. So yeah. we're checking off a couple boxes here. And we're revisiting old friend Lionel Barry. So uh, mm -hmm. we're also kicking it off here to Joey R. Joey R., welcome back on the scene. Thanks, yeah. Lionel Barry, I was so excited to see him. My first notes is I'm so happy Lionel Barry's back in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Lionel Barrymore. Barrymore. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I shortened I, it. Okay. <laughs> I, got very, I got very confused. I'm trying to use less words. And I am proud to introduce a, a guest that I'm very, very excited to welcome in here. He's the host of one of my very favorite film podcasts out there. He is a, a host that has been gracious enough to have all three of us on as individual guests on yeah. mm -hmm. his podcast, Cinemus. And he's Mike Emmel. Mike, welcome at long last to Best Picture Cast. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. I'm so happy I could just bust into the Big Apple right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Coming coming all the way from Utah here. We're very excited to bring to bring you in and give you a little uh, East Coast uh, housewarming comfort here and, and, and get you into the Eastern time zone. I appreciate it. Now, Mike, uh, uh, if you can, why don't you tell the people a little bit about Cinemus, your podcast, and uh, what, you, what you've what you been doing over there for the last several years. You've got quite the uh, the library and quite the uh, the podcasting legacy going here. You're one to talk. I mean, Cinemus, uh, the podcast trying to debate what are the essential must-see movies. We, uh, like our mutual friend Adam St. John at 1001 by 1 and Rewind 2552, we are 
taken movies from the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die. We talk about it. We discuss, does this deserve to make the list of essential cinema? But we turn it over to our audience to ultimately cast that deciding vote on our social media pages on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So you can follow us at Cinemus whenever new episodes drop. I'm a little more sporadic with my release schedule, but I'm hoping to have some new stuff out here soon. And uh, as you mentioned, I'm really proud of the back catalog. I steal from the best. I've stolen you three guys from Best Picture Cast, so... Anybody waiting on new shows from us can always dive into the back catalog to hear Kieran talk about Brief Encounter. You can hear Grant talk about Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and Joey tackling Chinatown, all of which did make the list of essential cinema, according to our audience. So it is a ton of fun to have people pitching in to to build that list with us. We're coming up on 100 episodes here, and it's just really fun, and I appreciate you guys letting me always steal your talent away. No, no, no problem, man. It's and, our uh, pleasure. Yeah, and, and you well, know we were in, in old quarantine there back in in twenty twenty, and we're best best picture is basically just kind of getting started here, and we had a lot yeah. of stuff in the can, but there was some downtime, and you know I would go on my uh, my neighborhood walks, and Cinemus was one of the uh, go to podcasts I had going, and helped me uh, help me brainstorm and get some ideas for for this for uh, this podcast best picture cast. So uh, you're you're very much uh, in the the DNA fabric of Best Picture Cast, so it's really a super honor to have you on in, in the mix here. Absolutely. Um, and you used to do oh, double features, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. The double features, and now you kind of focus on the movies singularly. Um, in that back catalog, we're just a couple of uh, a couple episodes from the past that you'd like to highlight a little bit for maybe the people um, who are getting into the podcast for the first time. Oh, man, on the spot, favorite episodes. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll go into the double feature ones first. Um, if, you, if you've got patience for... Some two and a half hour episodes, which I assume you do if you're a fan of Best Picture Cast. Um, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> we'll go. Uh, we're talking Capper tonight. I, I am especially proud of one of our early episodes talking about another Best Picture winner of his. With it happened one night, which was paired with Roman Holiday. Uh, that was I was really early show for us, but I'm very proud of it because I love that movie. I'm a big fan of our episode double featuring Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, another one with Jurassic Park and King Kong. Uh, I, I'm really just a big fan of all the recent runs we've done. So those shows you three were on that I mentioned, um, also to throw out Adam St. John, he did a great show with me on the graduate recently. That was a ton of fun. Um, your cohort cohorts at the best pictures podcast, Maggie and Ian have done some great shows most recently on Dr. Strange love and red river that I love. Um, they're all my babies. I can't. <laughs> A shorter list yes. is the the ones I want to redo on. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. And uh, and you know, just a little segue there with uh, with Adam. Uh, you and I were guests on One Thousand and One by One, which is uh, that episode was like a memorial episode for uh, for Ian Woodington, and that is up on the on Adam's Below Freezing feed, uh, where he releases the old episodes of One Thousand and One. And we talked about Ridley Scott's entire filmography. That was a blast, Mike. It was a blast. Such a blast. So good. Yeah, I was particularly My proud of that one. My one regret, we never got into it about Gary Oldman and Hannibal. No, we didn't. I don't have many positive things to say about that, though, do you? <laughs> I, I had mostly positive, but, you know. Oh, okay, all right. Two, all right. two hours, 40 minutes was, was good for the show. We hit about everything else. <laughs> That's right. All right, maybe if we get bored with Can't Take It With You, we'll start talking about uh, <laughs> Gary, Gary Oldman and, and, and Hannibal's of garbage horrible, garbage. horrible face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we hit on that in Silence of the Lamb a bit. <laughs> <laughs> not for long, not for long. <laughs> Uh, yes, awesome. So this is dude, this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm excited to have you on. I'm going to ask you a little bit about Frank Capra and kind of your history with his filmography. I think that 
that you you might be a little more a little more in touch with with his uh, with his filmography than than the three of us. I might be wrong, but first off, I want to kick it to you guys, Grant and, and Joey here. Is this your first experience with you? Can't take it with you. Is this a first watch? Yes. Yeah, it was my first watch. Okay, but for, um, a first watch for you too, Mike. Yes. Okay, so for me, I gotta say it might as well have been really? my first watch because hmm. out of all the movies we've covered, and I've, you know, I did go through the list and watch them all. This one probably watched about fifteen years ago. Okay, I gotta oh, so say, this is an early one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I gotta say. I probably remembered the least about this movie than any other movie we've covered so far. Oh, wow. uh, it, it might wow. as well have been a first watch. I, really? I so vaguely there wasn't even really one definitive scene other than maybe all of them in the living room that really even struck a bell with me. So this was as far as I'm concerned, this, this could have been you know slate. yeah, I was in like total RDB mode here. Yeah, RDB special. <laughs> This is yeah. so interesting to me because I'm pretty sure, officially from the Vatican, Chariots of Fire actually has an enchantment cast over it that causes memory erasure. So that's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Which kicks in right after the opening theme song. Yep. It's like it like hypnotizes you to sleep and then wakes you back up at the end of credits. Gives you the least fun movie ever made. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, we're going to talk about this one. Let's talk about a little bit of what we're uh, sipping on over here in the East Coast. Sure. Uh, Joe, what did you bring to the occasion here? You know, so it's been a while since I've had Montauk, so I went with Montauk Wave Chaser IPA, the purple can. Big fan of it. Still sad that the Session IPA is not in our lives, but, but the, wave, the chaser wave Chaser is glorious. There you go. Grant, what do you got? This is a decorative can. It is. It's a great can. This is 18th Ward Brewing for the, uh, the, West, the West East Williamsburg, West Coast India Pale Ale. Oh. Um, my wife works in Williamsburg, and she saw this at a local Seven Eleven when she was out there, and so she she picked up a four pack. Very cool. Well, yeah. uh, Williamsburg is in the uh, the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Borough. Yeah, yeah. So per, not not too far from Wall Street, where uh, where this takes place. You know, where some of this takes place. Yeah, and I wanted to uh, I wanted to shout out Utah, and I, I tried to find the Uinta Brewing Company because I know that they had a little spurt out here. Um, but I uh, couldn't find it, and the guy at the head of the, the distributor said that they're not really out here much anymore. So I know they had some mm. good stuff. So I had to settle for a California beer, one of my favorites, the Heller High Watermelon from 21st Amendment Brewery. That's a good one. 21st Amendment uh, also does a beer called the Fireside Chat, and we'll see maybe that might tie in a little later when we do our deep dive. So we'll do a little connective tissue there. Oh, okay. So, Mike, I wanted to ask you, Frank Capra, what is your, uh, what is your history with him what uh, what of his films uh, stand out to you when you look at his filmography? Talk to us a little bit about uh, about Frank Capra. I love Frank Capra, the, the Capricorn man. Shovel it down my gullet. I am here <laughs> for it. Um, yeah, I I didn't grow up with him though. I I came to him through It's a Wonderful Life, and that was like an early twenties. That was like a college movie discovery for me. I I went my whole life never seeing that movie for Christmas. Um, but I loved that. So I started chasing down his other things It happened one night. Mr. Smith goes to Washington and I've just always, because I try to be an optimistic guy, sometimes succeeding better than others. I, I am always a little endeared to his overt commitment to making the message movie and, um, you know, the the critiques against him are very valid. I love hearing the discussions, but for the most part, I always take it as part of the charm. Um, I've I'm still a far cry away from seeing his entire filmography because how could you not be? The guy worked constantly, and yeah. so much of the stuff yeah. is hard to even find prints of. But the 
the all-timers, like when he hits a home run, he hits a home run. And I could not be more excited for you guys when you cover it happened one night. Um, but yeah, I, I even this week, in anticipation of this, realized there were some blind spots of his from the 30s that was kind of his golden run that I'd missed. So this was a chance for me to catch up on those as well. So I'm still all aboard the train. I still love him. And yeah. Cool. Uh, now, I know you said you, you covered It Happened One Night on Cinemas uh, before. Have you covered any other Frank Capra's on Cinemas? Two. He's actually incredibly well represented um, because we also did it. It's a Wonderful Life. Um, and we recently, fairly recently, talked about a, an earlier work of his that's fairly unknown called The Bitter Tea of General Yen. And I actually really love that episode, but it is not a very good movie. There's a lot in that that falls prey to embracing stereotypes of Orientalism and yellow face and things like that. Um, but it was, it was a different kind of Capra movie, and I actually really enjoyed the discussion about that one. So those are the three we've done. We still have a, a good handful left we could cover. We got Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. We could do Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Uh, I actually think those are the only two. So we're three-fifths of the way through our eligible Capra movies over on Cinemas. Very cool. Very cool. I'm, nice. I'm gonna, Grant, I'm going to go to you next because I feel like you might you might have me beat with, uh, with your, your Capra zones. I know you're a big It's a Wonderful Life guy. I am, yeah. Um, no, I'm, honestly, I think you got me beat because It's a Wonderful Life and You Can't Take It With You are the only Capra movies that I believe I've seen. Oh, you're not a... Mr. Smith Goes to Washington? You didn't, you no, didn't you know, it's, it's funny because um, when I was invited to go on to uh, Mike's podcast, he said, oh, pick, pick some movies from the 30s and 40s and, you know, because I'm trying to whittle down those years. And this was one of the five that I picked was Mr. Smith Goes to Washington mm-hmm. And uh, you told me to kick rocks. <laughs> yeah, I, I said it'll be a cold day in hell <laughs> yeah, before yeah. you and I talk. <laughs> like, you son of... Uh, Think you're no. Capra worthy? <laughs> yeah. You gotta earn Capra, buddy. <laughs> Capra uh, on your first. So I ended up doing Snow White, but that, that would have been that would have been my first, watch, uh, my first watch of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Awesome. Yeah, no, but I'll tell you what. The episode came out great because that was... Uh, I love that, that Snow White episode. That was great. Yeah, yeah that was really fun. Enjoyed that, that was a lot of fun. And we have a little Snow White connection in this movie here. I'm sure we'll get we to certainly later. certainly do. We'll, we'll tease it. We don't, think, uh... don't think I didn't notice yeah. that. <laughs> uh, Joe, any any of these movies here that you've I've seen? I've seen Mr. Smith's Goes to Hollywood. This is my first one. Mr. Watch. Smith Goes to Washington. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> no, is that like that the... Uh, the Honestly, sequel. That, 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 I, think that was, I think that was a porno in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Mr. Smith... And I only recently saw It's a Wonderful Life for the first time, so I have very limited... I don't even know why I saw Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I saw it uh, probably like 10, 15 years ago, randomly. Um, I think It's a Wonderful Life. I think I saw it around when we were doing the... I think Best Picture cast was in existence when I first saw it. Oh, really? Like, I saw it as like a kid, sure, but not enough where I could count it as, you know, seen. I couldn't discuss it. Not not by Joey R standards, but by RDB standards. You were I mean, by RDB standards, yeah. he's an expert in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Joe, so I'm right there with you. It's a Wonderful Life. I saw two Christmases ago for the first time ever. Never seen a second of it. Okay. So, than, like, and I think mean, you saw it around the same time because I remember talking yeah. to you about it. So that makes sense. So yes. So your brother's favorite movie. Isn't it, it is my brother's Brennan B's favorite yeah. movie of all time. Yeah. 
Um, we're up there. He's going to do his list, and I'll probably have it at eight. You know, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> going to be ranked. He like, doesn't rank. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. Um, <laughs> so for me, it is, you know, It's a Wonderful Life, and then the two Best Picture winners. Okay, okay. It's Happened One Night is one that I've seen several times Right, you talk point. about that a lot. Yeah, looking forward to covering that. You're very high that. proponent of that one. That's in that little uh, capsule of movies that we're saving yeah. for a bit. Because also, we did the... We did the other big five winners so quickly. Uh, Wonderful with Cuckoo's Nest is our second episode. Uh, Science of the Lambs is what, like our seventh or eighth episode? Eighth. So, like, we knocked the two up. Like, all right, we got to hold off on. Uh, we got to hold off on Jack Nicholson. We got to hold off on or the remaining Jack Nicholson and the remaining big five. So, those are kind of we're waiting a bit on those. But yeah, so I, I, I am excited to see some of these. Mister D goes to town. Mister Smith goes to Washington. I'm definitely going to check out the better uh, the bitter tea of General Yen too now. So, get the cinema episode to back it up. Uh, so yeah, so there's a, there is, there are, are Capra gaps all over the place here, but Mike, that's why I'm happy to have you in here to, uh, kind of be our, be our, uh, our on-scene expert on the, on, on the scene, even though, you know, we don't claim to be trained experts, so you'll nope. fit right in around here. <laughs> Nor do I. Just, I just claim to be a guy who's, has It's a Wonderful Life as his second favorite movie ever. Hell yes. We cool. just speak with absurd yeah. confidence. Yeah, we, we just, <laughs> just say things that are completely off base. The wild confidence of almost sociopaths. But we say it with conviction. Yeah. So. That's right. Now, I I would ask you to tell the people what your number one movie is of all time, but maybe we'll say that because one day maybe we'll have you on to do your Ooh. top ten movies, and I don't want to uh, uh, spoil it when that happens. I'd, I'd love to. I've gone on two different podcasts to talk about it, and I never get tired of it, so let's do it. Oh, that's great. That's it's amazing. Fantastic. Wow, I'm curious. I'm going to have to look back. Cool. Uh, okay, so uh, let's uh, let's get into this one. I think without further ado, do we have any other comments or anything we got to say here before we do the old deep dive? No, let's, let's get into go. it. Okay, last year we covered 1978. We're throwing them in reverse 40 years to 1938. Back in 1938, the president was Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR himself. Uh, he passed the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938, a landmark law in the nation's social and economic development. The bill banned oppressive child labor and set a maximum for an hourly work week and instituted the nation's first minimum hourly wage. Come on. What so a gentlemen, socialist. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, gentlemen, I ask you now, the first ever... Minimum wage. What was it set at? Seventy-five cents. I'm gonna say like thirty cents. Mike, any guesses? Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a, a smooth uh, four bits, fifty cents. Okay, all right. So I think Grant wins by uh, I don't know. What uh, price is right? I think if you go over, everybody loses, right? So yeah. you know, but Grant was the closest. Yeah. twenty-five cents a quarter. Wow, a quarter. Wow. Yeah, that's right. Two things. Um, yeah, the, the old the old quarter minimum wage, quarter an hour. Okay, and in one of his fireside chats, which I shouted out before, there uh, the night before signing the bill, FDR proclaimed, "Do not let any calamity howling executive with an income of a thousand dollars a day tell you that a wage of eleven dollars a week is going to have a disastrous effect on the American industry." Little FDR. We, we get to talk a lot about FDR here because yeah. he was president well, for pre- like... He was yeah. president for like 13 years. Yeah, right, so. yeah, 23 Best Picture winners. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> dying, to talk, uh, dying to talk like Garfield or something, but you know, yeah. we were making movies back then. We can throw him in there. <clears throat> the 1938 World Series, we're on a BPC pinstripe tear here for mm. all our Yankee fans. The third episode of the season... And uh, a third straight Yankee World Series victory to discuss. 
Very apropos, as the 1938 Yankees sweep the Chicago Cubs to win their third straight World Series, doing so for the first time in franchise history. They'd win again next year to tack that on four, lose, and then win five in a row. So there you go, Yankee fans. Goddamn. Um, <laughs> you'd think I'd plan this stuff out, of course, no. But, well, just Yankees uh, won a lot, that's all. Yes. Yeah. Believe me, it's killing me inside. <laughs> talk about the Yankees during these things. It's going to make you stop talking baseball. <laughs> the Yankees dominated the series and did so in timely fashion. The first three games of the series were all played each under two hours. That's amazing. The fourth clinching was two hours and 11 minutes. That means that nearly every game in the series was shorter than You Can't Take It With You, the movie we are covering here today. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yep, and only the last one, which is 2 hours and 11 minutes, was wow. just 4 five, minutes, five four minutes, 4 or 5 minutes longer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, for those non-baseball fans who have no context for what I'm talking about, Mike, you might be one of them. You're not a big, not a big baseball guy. What sports? <laughs> <laughs> yes, for those of you uh, like Mike who might not have context for what I'm talking about, the average runtime of an MLB game in 2021 was three hours and ten minutes. God damn, seven minutes longer <laughs> than last week's film, The Deer Hunter. So a, a lot has changed. Uh, a lot has changed from 38 to today. Wow. People were swinging the bat back then. Today, everyone's sitting there's, around. There's there are no no timeouts at the plate. Yeah. Pitchers just pitchers just hurled the ball. I mean, they just threw till their arms fell off. Game two of the series would mark the last time the Yankees would play at Wrigley Field for nearly 65 years. Wow. Until the two teams met again for the first time in interleague play in 2003. Yankees were managed by Hall of Famer Joe McCarthy. Other Yankee Hall of Famers include Bill Dickey, Joe DiMaggio, Lou Gehrig, Lefty Gomez, Joe Gordon, and Red Ruffing. The number one Billboard song of 1938, kind of very fitting and contemporary with what works today, believe it or not. Normally we do these old 30s ones and it's like, hey, what is do this? <laughs> so if, uh, if any of you guys are familiar, there was a, um, a recent billboard song that broke all sorts of records. Kate Bush's mm-hmm. Running Up the Hill, yeah. uh, which uh, was featured on Stranger Things. Great and song, too. Yeah, and just basically a song from the 80s that never was a, a number one hit, and Kate Bush had one other number one hit, and just this, it went so went crazy on that it was featured on the show and, and on the soundtrack and just completely exploded. She owns all the royalties, too. Yeah, and she owns that. She's making so much money off it. Good for her. Royalties. Good for her. Yeah, went number one in England, breaking a couple records. The biggest gap in between number ones. Uh, Also, the uh, the oldest song to go number one, or the longest it took for a song to go number one. Okay, just beat Tom Jones, I think. Tie on, tie in there. And uh, and the oldest uh, uh, female solo artist to go number one in in England, uh, who beat Cher for. um, Oh. Do you believe in life after love? Okay. Yeah, yes. So uh, see, she went as high as number four on the U.S. charts. Okay. There. Yeah, so, um, but why does that tie in today? Uh, because Kate Bush was not around in 1938 to go number one. I think so. But Ella Fitzgerald was, and there's an Ella Fitzgerald song also featured on this season of Stranger Things, prominently featured. Dream a little dream. Dream a little dream by Ella Fitzgerald is uh, one of the one of the songs that is a reoccurring throughout this season. Right. So pretty wild. It wasn't Dream a Little Dream that went number one here in 1938, though. It was uh, a little ditty called A Tisket, A Tasket, oh. along with the Chick Webb Orchestra. It's a jazz piece based on the child's nursery game, which date backs to, dates back to 1879, A Tisket, A Tasket, 
something something basket. So yeah, <laughs> I was really hoping you were going to fill those words in between basket because that's what in my head I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And uh, now the the original rhyme uh, was based on a child's game where uh, one one kid I guess runs outside to pack a circle and drops a handkerchief. And then the nearest child runs and picks it up and then chases the dropper. It's like Duck, Duck, Goose? It sounds like a variation of Duck, Duck, Goose, yeah. But if caught, the dropper either was kissed, joined the circle, or had to yell the name of their sweetheart. Oh. So kind of got a little weird there back then. And I think we're, you know, concerned that, like, (laughs) tablets and streaming devices are killing the imaginations of kids these days. Maybe we, yeah, we might have overrated some of their bad right. they, 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 they were doing this and kicking cans. <laughs> it seems like we should. They have rolled given, a stick. They yeah. rolled a circle down yeah. the street. Maybe they should have been watching Stranger Things. Right. Maybe but, they needed some creativity push. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with my I'm okay with my kid watching Aladdin. If this <laughs> is what the alternative, <laughs> you don't you don't want her dropping a handkerchief in front of Jimmy from down the street. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that. About that. Uh, but the lyric the lyric is a tisket, a tasket, a green and yellow basket. Ah, okay. There's more, but I'm not going to read it. And I'm sure there's many more creative kids inventing much better games. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want to hear about poor Johnny and Mary. That's right. Now, the song, A Tisket, A Tasket, appears in both John Ford's Grapes of Wrath and Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. Hmm. So, a weird connection there. Cool. Uh, Other artists that topped the charts in 1938 include Larry Clinton, Tommy Dorsey, Duke Ellington, Fred Astaire, and BPC favorite Bing Crosby. The Best Picture winner for 1938 is You Can't Take It With You, the movie we're discussing today. It was directed and produced by Frank Capra, screenplay by Robert Riskin, based on a play by George Kaufman and Moss Hart. Music by Dimitri Tompkin, who uh, also won an Oscar for High Noon and uh, Old Man in the Sea. Cinematography by Joe Walker. Uh, Here Comes Mr. Jordan and the Jolson Story, were a couple of uh, movies he was nominated for. Film editing by Gene Havlick. Art and set and direction by Stephen Goussoun. You Can't Take It With You is starring Gene Arthur, Lionel Barrymore, James Stewart, Edward Arnold, and Spring Byington. Nominated for seven Oscars, the winner of two. Best Picture and Best Director, Frank Capra, also nominated for but did not win. Writing, Robert Riskin, Cinematography, Joseph Walker. Best Actress in a Supporting Role, Spring Byington. Best Film Editing, Gene Havlick. And Best Sound. That's it for Can't Take It With You. No other kind of special accolades or lists or other charming thought spots that it might be included. So, you can't take it with you. Here we are. Yay. Joey, I'm going to let you give your initial thoughts here. Just kind of opening opening statement on this thing before we start uh, picking it apart. Can't take it with you. What, what was how was your first experience with it? I didn't really know what to expect going on. I I, I really like Jimmy Stewart, so I was excited to see him just because I think he, I just think he's very good. I think he's very likable and charming. Um, this movie was funny. It's a little predictable, but I don't care about that. I still had a lot of fun with it. For me, the first half hour was a little slow, but I think from then on, it's it's a super watchable movie. Grant, how about you? When I was uh, told about this movie, and I was like, and there was, I kept on seeing, oh, it's a romantic comedy. I'm like, oh, that's gonna be interesting to seeing what kind of romantic comedy will win this movie. Like, will win you know an Oscar for Best Picture. You know, Frank Capra and, and you know, It's a Wonderful Life, kind of knowing his style and kind of his themes. You know. Are, Kind of this similar in a lot of his movies. Yeah, it, it, it there was it was more more at stake than just this, this romance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I thought it was very good. I thought the performances were really great, and I mean Jimmy Stewart is just 
a national treasure. He just really, he really is. He makes, Absolutely. He makes everything amazing. Yeah. Mike, how about you? What was your uh, kind of your opening uh, opening thoughts on on this one here? Uh, first time watch for me too. So it, I came in. You know, there's a lot of Capra baggage. There's Jimmy Stewart baggage because he's probably like my favorite movie star of all time. Um, and then also, like I mentioned, I was kind of mashing this in with a bunch of other Capra movies from the 30s that are famous that I hadn't seen. Um, I liked. You can't take it with you. I think of those new watches for me. It is probably my favorite. Um, but I think it's still, it's a little obvious to me, like why it's upper middle tier for him. It's not in like the, those home run class, like, uh, you know, Mr. Smith goes to Washington or it happened one night, but I found it enjoyable. Like I said, it's, it's a message movie. He has things to say. He's going to overtly say them. Um, so it was a lot of that stuff I like out of Capra, really good performances, and I was a little thrown for a loop myself about the, it's a movie sold on a mismatched romance and a meeting the in-laws type of story. And I, I kind of want to get into this as we have the discussion, but I, I feel that's actually not the movie's main story. And I kind of liked that about it. I think I admired that that came a little out of left field, that it wasn't just about the, the two young kids, the star-crossed lovers. Yeah, they, they kind of use that as a a vessel to tell the larger story. Right. I think one of the fun things about about what we're doing with, with Best Picture Cast is that there's kind of like a bit of an accumulation thing going on here as we do this, with, between the rankings and just us talking about them. I think there's a lot of these movies are getting watched for the first time. And if they're not getting watched for the first time, they're getting like seriously looked at and, and, and discussed and having jokes made upon them for the first time. So like there's, there's, like, there's certain people of the past... In, in the film industry that are kind of becoming part of our vocabulary here and kind of part of how we use jokes, whether it's Billy Wilder or Gregory Peck or like, you know, but they're, it, it, <laughs> or the Gene Kelly. Yeah, yeah right. Gene Kelly. Yeah. People who we would never have thought to, to, you know, come up with, with thoughts about before doing this stuff. But it's always, it's always interesting to me, the people who haven't entered the, the fray yet. You know, like last week it was Meryl Streep. Like we, ever, we did our first Meryl Streep movie. Forty-six episodes for yeah. Meryl Streep. I mean, yeah. we haven't done a Tom Hanks. Well, we just did it. We just right. did the um, the A League of Their Own. And here we have Frank Capra, and we have Jimmy Stewart, who were two big. Where this is kind of one like had we done this or it happened one night in our our first season, they you They'd know they would that. have found their way through the Yankees rankings yeah, and they would have right. been chit chatted about a little Jim, more. Jimmy Stewart would have been the lexicon. Yeah, or sure. had we maybe yeah. done It's Happened One Night as one of our first Christmas movies. So it's always right. interesting to see when these guys get kicked in. So when we're doing a new movie now and there's a big name like that, I'm like, oh, this is fun. Now this is, you know, they're going to get tested in the old ranking section too. I was really um, pretty pumped and taken back by Jimmy Stewart after after this. Yeah. I don't think it's front to end anything that I would show someone first of Jimmy Stewart's. You know, I, I think it's, it's incomplete in some areas. But it's ultimately, like you said, Grant, evidence that he's a national treasure, and it's it's just it's just a fun entity to watch yeah. on you screen. You see everything that's going to... You see... You know, I always go to Rear Window with him. Mm. That's my favorite, you know. Like, you see that all... That charm... Just the super charm... He's just really good at... He just he just really pops on the screen. Yeah, he just owns every scene he's in. And, and, he's, and, he's, as, he's, and he's not just, like, a handsome, charismatic, charming oh, no. guy. He, like, he actually he has ability and... He's very good at, at displaying emotion. And I was very impressed in this with his facial 
for as young as he was, his facial um, his facial reactions just sold so much. It was really impressive. Because for how young he was, you know, that's something that takes time. So that really stuck out to me, and I was super impressed with him. Yeah. On the on the flip side of that, talking about this movie in context of Best Picture winners is a bit complicated. And yeah, I think so. I, I'm trying yes. not to let myself get too affected by the fact that we just discussed. Lawrence Raby and the Deer Hunter, because they're, I mean, they're obviously very, very different goals behind those movies and this movie. Yeah. But I do think at the end of the day, you know, it's a little bit of our task to sit down and d- distinguish That's... between just a real nice movie and something that really is, is something that, that should, should stand the test of time. And yeah. I think we'll see the difference of that eventually when we talk about it happen one night. I, I do think there's a bit of this movie that plays kind of like the song on the album that comes after the hit album. You know, there's the album that everyone loves, that has all the sing-alongs, all the number one hits, and then the band finally releases another album, and this is the first single off that album. And they all bought it because it's... The same people who did the first one. The trust in that. <laughs> but I don't know that it's they, they're singing along to it as much as they're singing is, along to the other this one. This is their Swallowed? This yeah. Is, this is Bush, <laughs> Bush, Bush, Bush Suitcase. I was thinking... Um, <laughs> although, although that's one of my favorite Bush songs. But Yeah, yeah. Well, I like Greedy Fly. Was the, yeah, the second one. Yeah. But I was thinking more like Third Eye Blind and, uh, and the Blue Album. With the, Never let you yeah. go. Ooh. Never let you go. Yeah. Sorry to expose <laughs> you to this mic. Um... <laughs> <laughs> This this is what Mike, we do. Mike's like, I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, I think we'd be breaking down uh, the the blue Third Eye Blind album. Yeah, these are the precious memories I can take with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's hope not. I'll, I'll start. I'll start off with with you, Mike. Here, maybe like the first ten minutes or so of this movie, where we're uh, we're we're following around Kirby. We're following around Kirby and getting introduced to him. Uh, how how did that how did that stuff play for you? How was the setup for you? Um, I was really into it because it's it's very Capra. He he starts with your side characters and he starts with your your high pants, fast talking guys who are laying out like the MacGuffin central conflict. It's he, he, and he does it in like every movie. You know, it's it's you know, Mr. Deeds goes to town. It's a bunch of lawyers like we got to dig up the hair, the air. Where is he? And it's the same thing here. Like how to go in Washington, AP. And, um, so I was, I was loving that. It was like I was home again. But I, I was also affected by just how they were setting up the character of Kirby because he, he has this overt contempt for his fellow man, like a, a chauffeur who's offering him like his hand out of the car. And he's like, good morning. He gives him like the stink eye. He's brushing past all the <laughs> photographers and reporters in this giant palatial lobby. So I was like appreciating like Capra's ability to not just say this is a rich guy, but show like this is... This is a cartoons version of a rich guy, but at least he's going to tell his story visually. Um, and I mean, up up and through that, I, I really enjoyed just the juxtaposition of those two patriarchal characters. That you've got that with Kirby, but you also have Lionel Barrymore hanging out in the real estate agent's office and going over to talk to uh, Mr. Poppins, Poppins and the Poppins. whole exchange Poppins. with the rabbit and stuff was incredibly charming. And I I had like this realization. Um, I was like Lionel Barrymore. How do I know Lionel Barrymore? And I was like, Holy shit, that's Mr. Potter. He's played. Yep. He's famous for playing the exact opposite guy. Like he, he's most famous yeah. for playing the most miserly character in all of cinema, and it, it's a Wonderful Life. And so I was really getting a kick out of that. That he was this very nice grandfatherly figure to everybody. Everybody calls him Grandpa, and I just I think Capra is so good with his setups. I think his first acts are always really fun because his 
his plot hooks are very simple, but I find them very endearing and interesting, whether it's uh, something like Mr. Deeds, where it's an, an average guy inherits a fortune, or whether it's Lost Horizon, it's a plane crash, and they find Shangri-La. Um, and I found this one didn't disappoint either. I liked this idea that there's this motley crew that lives in this house in the middle of Main Street um, that's like this microcosm for Capra's ideal America, and it's headed by Lionel Barrymore, who's the sweetest old guy. So I really just... I actually to to speak to joey found like the first little bit a little slow i i totally see it i loved it um it was probably the part of the movie i was enjoying the most up until about halfway through act two i found like after we'd gotten introduced to everybody that is where i'm going to start entering the nitpick zone awesome i'm so happy that you said cartoonish entry with him because the the first like 10 minutes and the, the intro to Kirby, it, it just reminded me so much of, like, a Mr. Burns-centric Simpsons episode. <laughs> yes. Where it's 100%. just like, it's like, Smithers, who's this, who's this guy refusing to leave the house and preventing me from a monopoly on all military weapons? Uh, it's uh, Homer Simpson, sir. <laughs> Simpson, eh? <laughs> just expected to like, go right into it. It's like, yeah, oh, it's no, it was perfect. Simpsons did this about 20 times, so maybe more. My, uh, I, loved yeah. his, I loved his brag of... Every weapon that get used in America will be made by <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah. Wars, every war. Like, whoa, we got some stakes here. It was. Just, it was such like like I love that you said cartoon because it was it was like a Mister Smithers and like those old fat cat cartoons rolled into like one. It, it was it was great. Oh, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah. Great. How did the beginning work out for you? Uh, I liked it. Um, I I also liked you know all all these all these fat cats. Congratulating each other, and then you see you see Tony just in a in a yeah. chair, just like completely. You can tell right away without saying a word that he just he doesn't want any part of this. Yeah, and uh, I thought that was I thought that was done really really well. Yeah, I agree. That was they they let they set that up with no like nonsense about like we brought you here. You tried to do this like we. Yeah. The body language showed all we needed. Yeah, to. this this movie. I, I feel like this movie does get heavy handed towards the end. I think the third. But not act, now. No, not now. No. Third act. Third act. They they cut loose. But uh, they de- there's definitely a longer. <laughs> the third act is definitely heavy handed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. so it's a there's definitely a much point. longer movie here, and they yeah. they shortened it all in the third act. Yeah. yeah. They, there's um, also a shorter movie here too, but I guess we'll get to that. <laughs> we we <laughs> will get to that. Yes. Yeah. There's jo- both. Joey, I gotta ask, how did you do with our our buddy Mr. Poppins here? Because huh? he has prime Joey R. Victim written all over him. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to. Uh, I paused it and I was like made fun of him for oh, like no. why the fuck <laughs> like you make this little thing that's adorable why are you bringing it to your banking job yeah that sounds like nitpicks yeah, and, yeah we'll, that's we'll, not even my nitpicks we'll try and save it there because I, I do gotta I say mi- Poppins occupies a oh, good chunk of my nitpicks he nip-pick is the nitpicks but, right. but when I was thinking of the people I have been frustrated with the most in the forty-seven movies we've watched. I mean, he's 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 number two. I I felt I felt Ellis. it. I felt it, Joey. I mean, Ellis is. El- I felt it, Joey. I was I was watching it. I'm like, oh my god, we got another Ellison for Joey. Joey's <laughs> gonna go after him. I mean, there's... Ellison, of course, Mike is the is the uh, the poor shipmate in Mutiny on the Bounty. Poor shipmate. Yes. No one's deserved <laughs> to die in cinema. <laughs> he, he haunts Joey's dreams. <laughs> when Poppins came up with the fucking seal mask. <laughs> I wanted a walrus. To, it was a walrus. It Let's doesn't see. matter. I wanted to super kick him down the stairs. <laughs> oh boy! Like okay, all right. My, 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 just for context, the room we're in is the room I'm watching it. It's, it's like my son's playroom. There's just lovely, happy toys, and I'm sitting right. here. You motherfuckers! <laughs> oh, 
God. I'm looking. I'm looking at like a. I'm looking at a blue from Blue's Clues right now. And you were talking about super kicking down the a, stairs. A, a frail man. Out of Joey is Joey so, down the stairs because of that, he's right where he's standing. I was like, if you super kick him now, he's gonna, he's going. He's going headfirst down the stairs. See, Mike, I have to get this stuff out of the way early. I have to steam valve it because if I just let if we if we let it just go into his own devices and talk about it when he's ready to do it, that it's gonna get. It's Joe, gonna get Joey has to burn out a little bit. He yeah. has to kind of do his little comment. Yeah. Burn out. Whether it's now or in the Nick Fig zone, I, I will come to his defense because I do have a soft spot in my heart for Donald Meek, that actor. Yeah. Yes, I love that. This is what it's about. I love that. This Where were you from Unity the Bounty Where, with poor Ellison? <laughs> there is no defending that <laughs> atrocious human. Oh, my God. Poppins leaves and heads to the house here. Oh, that, that that recruiting was kind of weird. Yeah? Yes. I mean, just like, oh, like, how do you eat? It's like, oh, well, who takes care of you? Oh, whoever takes care of the lilies in the field. It's like, that's not a great answer yeah this is very gonna poetic be pick zone i think yeah, yeah. I, I, I know things, i, I yeah. know it's, it's very, I, I understood yeah. like the purpose of it made sense right you're showing what vanderhoff like kind yeah, of his it just but like, like a cult right but then you go to this beautiful house <laughs> with all these people well, yeah who I mean, are clearly well fed clearly healthy people uh, yeah like i don't know like this what, wasn't a hovel well, i don't i don't understand all right but like i don't understand 1930s New York City real estate on like how impressive this was. I don't listen. I, I think he owns it outright. Yeah, he owns it. Right. So let's talk about the house and the family street. and the whole yeah, the whole sure. shebang here. I let's, love let's the get family. into the the heat of it. I love the family. I, I mean, again, it's very quirky motherfuckers. Yeah, I I never really grew up with like a really tight family, so seeing a tight family always kind of creeps me out. Yeah, <laughs> that that's a. That's a <laughs> No, I know that's like a thing for you too, and I like I don't I, I when yeah. I when I see like families that are too close, I'm like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> but I'm also a child of divorce, so it's it's a, it's a whole different story. I think the way that they brought in the family was was cool because they, they didn't drag it out. They brought everybody in like quick, but then they laid enough groundwork where throughout I, the rest of the movie you yeah, can meet them. I know I know you hate Poppins. This is where Potten, Poppins was useful. The necessary device here, yeah. Because you be kind of learn of the you learn of the whole family, the dynamics through Sure, and he reacted to all of them inappropriately. For sure. Well, for sure. Yeah, but okay. I'm saying his his character was essential for this moment. I, don't know. I agree. He, he Mike, was about to run out of the house, which I feel is a pretty appropriate reaction for the first bit you watched. <laughs> Especially when the explosives came up. Yeah. Um Great but uh, so, Mike, how much of this movie did you know about what it was about and, and what you were getting into? And you know, when you're at this stage, you're kind of getting into the house. Like, what are you expecting to see, and what, and, and and how does that match with what you what you saw? I mean, in terms of what I like knew going in, like two percent, which is I knew Frank Capra directed it and Robert Riskin wrote it. I didn't even know Jimmy Stewart was in it. I purposefully didn't look oh, up wow. anything because I was like, I'm going to watch it anyways. Why not be surprised? Oh, that's great. So, um, I, I again, like I talked about, I like the juxtaposition between Kirby and Vanderhoff. Just like the juxtaposition of the environments, the, the cold palatial business offices versus this house where anything goes and the, the basement's been converted into a munitions factory in its own right. Um, <laughs> the, the mom is using a It'll kitten as a paperweight. Factory. Which, you know, we'll get, we'll get on to that later. And I, I like the flow... And I'll give Capra some credit here as a filmmaker. There's a flow to the introductions that it kind of flows out from the typewriter to 
Essie doing the dancing, going back into the kitchen to check her candies, and we get you know we're we're moving ourselves around the house in this very rhythmic way, getting to know these people. And I thought there's there's some good laughs in there with the kitten as a paperweight. The firework going up the chimney is is really great. So I, I actually I I found it really endearing. Although I'll, I'll join you guys on the like this is freaking weird, and I don't think anybody in their sane <laughs> mind would stay here. But I don't know. I guess you know a, a guy as meek as as Mr. Poppins might say, well, you know, I can't go back to the office. Will, let's check let's check this out. <laughs> I will give Poppins one when the fireworks first go up through the um, stairwell through the stairwell. Yeah. Nobody else reacts. Yeah. So first he's scared, but then he could he right goes to confused. That he made me laugh there. I was like, okay, good job. Which which yeah. does kind of work great when they like take him by the arms down into the basement. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah, you're one of us now. And he's like, oh, oh dear one God. I wonder a little bit with this is there's like moments of this movie where they're over the top with it, and like I'm wondering, is this too over the top? But then there's other times where at some of the most over-the-top moments, that's when I'm like, oh, I, I like this. this is right. Like, yeah. right. You know, so it's like, it's kind of that thing is if you hit it, you keep hitting the bell harder and harder until you get the note. There's the charm with the over-the-topness that I think that they nail tone. Yeah, I, I think yeah. if you're going to go over-the-top with Kirby, you got to do over-the-top with the family. you gotta, you got to treat them with the same amount of uh, lack of restraint. It kind of yeah. just let them both go right. for it. You can't have Ed playing a normal instrument. He has to be playing. No, we can't play the guitar. Right, like he has to yeah, play like, him, like the a, wacky xylophone right, right. in a yeah, the, football yeah. helmet. If Kirby's gonna be, uh, and know, he's like by far gross. the best at any of the things that anyone's doing. Oh, 100%. He, he can play that xylophone. Hundred percent. I, I got something to say about, but, about him. And but like, it's hysterical <laughs> the, that the mom play it only writes plays because someone gave her a typewriter accidentally. Like that's like, a very I funny. Think, I don't think she's finished one play. But that's what's funny about it. She's yeah. just like she's yeah. just trying. Ed from Alabama is the only one who seems to be progressing. That's right. That's yeah, right. I mean, he's, he's, he has his printing. He has his printing thing, right? He Which plays is his xylophone. Yeah, the printing thing's problematic. Yeah, he's got to got to worry. He's <laughs> well, gotta, he needs an editor. I think. <laughs> he's, he's printing. He's printing flyers for a revolution, which is uh, not not the best look. No, but the xylophone. He does a good job. Yeah, Mike. Uh, what, what do you think of the, the over-the-top uh, nature of it? Is it does it? Do they hit the right notes there? Or do they go a little a little steep with a little dancing a little too much. What is it? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you guys kind of said it that if you're going to have the the Mr. Burns figure, like you got to go over the top on the other end to balance the scales. And and I was endeared to it. And I don't I don't want to go too hard into giving Capper credit for this because I know this is based on a play. I know the play won the Pulitzer Prize, but right. you you get the feeling walking into this scene and getting a feel for the characters like this. This is Capper's dollhouse. This is his microcosm of the quote-unquote ideal America where everybody is free to pursue their own interests. Uh, They're still hard workers, and everybody is super loving and accepting of each other. Like, no matter what strange new person comes from the door, no matter what nationality they are, whoever's there welcomes them with open arms and praises their, their passion projects and takes them down to the shop. And, and I, I think I liked that about Poppins that, made me buy why he stays was he's he's clearly never been in an environment where anybody believed in him or even like thought hey that's kind of cool so for these guys to say like the rabbit is awesome like and he says i've got yeah, some better yeah. ideas and they say let's come on down to the shop and he's like free you've got a shop and they like you guys said arm in arm they go down the yellow brick road down the stairs into into Oz, yeah. and do all sorts of wonderful <laughs> things so i you know at, at this part of the first time viewing i was just kind of thinking to myself like okay this is 
Capra's microcosm for the ideal America, but I know one of Capra's faults is that he doesn't, as, as much of a social commenter as he is, he's not great at committing to playing out his ideals. He, he has a habit of saying in the first act, this is the situation and it works great, and then it pretty much works great most of the rest of the movies, which I'm sure we're going to talk about mm. later. And that's kind of what I was thinking with this was like, is, is this going to be one of the ones where he actually walks you through it? And we see some of the downsides too, that it's not just awesome. So that was my thought process walking into this scene and being kind of taken aback by the eccentricness and uh, just the madcapness of it. I liked it. You mentioned that this is this was originally a play. And this is also a play that's been that's had a couple runs since then. You know, it's it's been sure. it's been brought to Broadway, yeah. it's been brought to a couple different places, and it's still performed today. And um I get this the school that I work at did this production really? a couple years oh, really? ago. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, like like a, like a two two or three years ago. And I remember being like, "Oh, this is the best picture winner!" Like, and I, you know, I, I, I wish I would have got it. It would have been funny to see how that. But it's, it's just kind of, it's kind of funny imagining what a high school production of this would look like. And I mean, obviously, you scale it down a little bit, right? Because it's mostly in the house, from what I got. Yeah. Well, and and this yeah. step from a chamber standpoint, but just from a performance standpoint, some of the musical end of right. things and that it would be a trick, an interesting thing to, to to check out. But it is this isn't. You know, this isn't an entity that is just so obscure that that it's completely lost no. today. I mean, it is something that is at least still semi-relevant today, even if it isn't one of the most remembered Capra movies. Yeah, well, it's, it's got the Capra glow on it. Yeah, you know, it's got the Capra dust on it, so it's it's going it's going to make waves. Yeah. Capra plus no young Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, that that's going. You know, yeah. Let's let's talk about about uh, Jimmy Stewart and Gene Arthur. And, Gene Arthur. Uh, yeah, well, this is Gene Arthur. There's another uh, um, entity here that we have not spoken about. Oh. We haven't haven't had done a, a Gene Arthur movie yet. Uh, what did you think of of her performance, Sean? I really liked her because she was like the most feet on the ground of the family, but she still rode the banister down, and she got For super sure. pumped up when her hand, you know, she could do it with no hands. But she was a, you know, she was the one constantly with the job. She was working at the store before she worked for the Kirby's office, like so. She's able to kind of move between the both worlds the best, and. Um, I think that makes her yeah super compelling because she's able to see both sides better than anybody. Yeah, yeah, she's a little bit of country, a little bit of rock and roll. It's um, I, I thought I thought she was great. She she gave me um, Anna Kendrick vibes. Ooh, interesting. I could fully get on board on right? that. Yeah, because you know what? I love Anna Kendrick. I love me Gene too. Arthur in there. And yeah, yeah. I'm because again, and I think it's that kind of Joey just might be excited you brought up Anna Kendrick. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I don't blame him. The Anna Kendrick, the Anna Kendrick solo episode. <laughs> that would be a little too weird. For That'd me. be awful. But, <laughs> but yeah, I like that. Because she's also very funny. She's good. She's very good in this. Yeah, yeah, and and then she and she works as the. As the person in the in the family that is her head's in the clouds but her feet's on the ground, yeah. you know, kind of thing. That's a tough role to play because you could play if you go too far either way, the other it's side nice isn't believable. She really, yeah. she finds that nice middle ground, which I don't think is easy. Mm-mm. I gotta say, you know, this is as far as I know, this is my only real experience with her. Uh, I haven't seen any of her other movies. I, I know she's in George Stevens' Chain. And that's one I have on my list. Mike, you're a big Westerns guy. It's an awesome movie. Uh, I know. So, um, yeah. So, how, how is she in that? And what did you think about her in, in this one? Yeah, yeah. So, she's fantastic. I mean, everybody in Shane's fantastic. That's It's it's such a great actor's yeah. Western. 
Um, yeah, she's she's spectacular because of all the things going on with that movie that represent gender roles and her role as kind of like the sole woman on the frontier, but also sticking to her matronly duties while being allured by this wanderer figure who stands kind of against everything that her family does. Um, she's great, and she's equally great in um, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. She's going to do the next year with Capra and Jimmy Stewart. She's the big love, love interest there. I think she steps it up. I was a little disappointed in her in this movie, and I don't blame her for that. I actually think she nailed a couple of great moments, especially in the courtroom, but I think the writing does her a disservice. I think there's a there's a balance there with what you guys are saying with making her the one who's the grounded one in the family, but... I, I just never, it never clicked for me that she truly belonged there. She has some nice scenes with Lionel Barrymore, but I don't get like what her weird thing is that she grew out of or something like that. I, I kind of felt like that was something that was missing that made her more endearing to her own family and wanting to stick up for them. Cause it's kind of lip service. Like, yeah, you're going to stick up for your family, which is totally fine. It does not sink the movie, but I did want a little more out of her. And, and to be honest, a little more out of Jimmy Stewart, too. For me, when Grandpa tells the story about Grandma, mm -hmm. I, I thought that that kind of put her in that, like, she's kind of the... Right. She's kind of the... Not, not in, like, an inappropriate way, but, like, she's, like, kind of the... the Like, the grandmother was the grounded one. That's why he stays in the house. Everything's mm -hmm. for uh -huh. her. And that's kind of... he. She reminds him of her. Yeah, that, how oh, I yeah. took yeah. that. Yeah, that, the third that's act exactly depends on that. Thinking. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, I I will uh, agree with you, Mike. That I, I think that I think that that the writing doesn't fully service her character, and I think that there's some some ways they could have fleshed her out a little better. And I guess because they were leaning more on on Grandpa's story uh, than on hers, right? And there are some questionable moments for Tony too, Jimmy Stewart's character. I will say this though, I thought the chemistry between the two of them was was awesome. Oh, yeah. uh, it really yeah, worked yeah. for me. I thought it was electric. Uh, the scene with them on the phone, you know, oh, like it just it just way more intimate than you get out of physical romance of that time. I mean, we're you know we're talking like code era -y heavy code era scenes, yeah. yeah. So to really kind of see that sort just of hands physical chemistry, I, I really liked it. Hey. I really liked that scene a lot. I I, I I think it was it was just such a it was such a glowing light in this era of very buckled down kind of cold romance. I really agree. The relationship felt very lived in. Because sometimes you watch these movies, especially back then, where they feel like they just started dating or something like mm -hmm. that. The, there, there's a comfort level in with these characters that really pops on screen. Which is super essential for a movie like this, which isn't fully weighty to begin with. So when Jimmy Stewart's trying to get her back, and he's trying to find her and go back to her, you needed to believe that, that they were really... They, even, even if they weren't in love, but they had a passion... You needed to believe that because if you didn't have that, then it just comes off as this just like possessive. I need, I, I need to, yeah, I yeah. need to, I can't lose this kind of thing. Like I, I need to win this one. And I think with that scene by the phone there, that kind of helps us a little later on. Where even though a little later on, I'm not fully sure all that worked either. But with this scene at least helps us float some of it. That scene helps get rid of some of the questions, I think, because it's so intimate and there's just... I mean, that scene is just, you can't force that. Like, that's that's a great scene. And a great way, to go back to what I was talking about, to bounce between character introductions that we'd been kind of making this figure eight through the house, getting to meet characters, and then it continues with Reba through the phone line to meet Alice and then connect yeah. back to Tony. Yeah, it was just, it's, it's just good storytelling. Lionel Barrymore, uh, Mike, you, you mentioned him in, uh, in It's a Wonderful Life. 
And we have, we saw him as uh, Kringling in, in Grand, Hotel? Grand Hotel. Yes. So uh, we've, had, uh, we've had some talk about him before. How about his performance in this one? I'll, I'll kick it off to, uh, to you first, Grant. What did you think of, of uh, Old Lionel in this one? Um, I, I haven't seen him much. I've seen him in Grand Hotel and uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, this is my favorite performance of his. Mm. Um, especially in the scene where he has the heart to heart with Alice uh, in her in her bedroom, the grandma scene. Yeah, yeah, I think that's. Team. I think that scene is. Uh, I think he does a great job uh, with with everything in that scene. Yeah, I. Uh, you know the the Kringling scene, the Kringling character in. Grand Hotel was so over the top and so, yeah, so I, I lacking so that. much yeah. restraint. And I think I actually was the high man on him. And I, I did enjoy him in it. But I was taken back at how controlled he was in this. And, you know, Very he has a couple character. of moments where he, you know, he lets the <laughs> he lets it loose a little bit. But uh, I, I really, really liked him in this. I, I, I did. And it, it's 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 fun watching those three performances, the, the other one being Mr. Potter and in It's a Wonderful Life. Three and very different roles. Yeah, watching yeah, yeah. a skilled actor who already has his uh, Oscar in the bag. He, he won a, a very early uh, acting Oscar. I think like maybe like the third year of the Oscars or something, like 31 or something okay. like that. Um, which are, are, they probably didn't even know what they were receiving at right. that time. It's like, all right, right. great, there's great, no and then I got one. Yeah, it's I not got like, something in the mail. Right, yeah, that's right. It's not, <laughs> it's not like Christopher, Christopher Plummer getting one at like age 90, you know. I, I, I totally dug it, and I think... Watching those three performances is a cool is a cool thing. Uh, Mike, what do, what do you think about about Lionel Barrymore? I mean, kind of what I said from the opening. I just dug him immediately. He, he's just so endearing with how he slinks into everybody's business, and he's so friendly. And he's asking Poppins about his rabbit and his inventions, and then he's he's buddied up with like the assistant real estate agent, and they're they're having like chitter chatter while Blakely is going off on his Twitch thing. Uh, he's he's just so good. He, he feels like he's your grandpa, you know, with with this thing that he's basically everybody in the neighborhood calls him grandpa. Like you're in on that too. Like you feel like he's looking out for you. Um, I loved him. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah. Joe, how about you? Yeah, I again got to agree with all of you guys. I think he just did such a cool job. He's, you know, you talk about the scene with the, the three scenes that really stuck out for me with him were the you know the grandma scene, the jail scene. And the scene with the IRS guy, right? Like, you kind of get the yeah. over-the-topness to the seriousness to the intensity. Like, he covers so much ground in those three scenes. Um, and I believe but, him every step of the way, all of them. Yeah, but even in the IRS scene, there's, like, a, there's an undertone of playfulness. Absolutely. Where, like, he knows he's, like, he's messing He knows with exactly guy, what he's doing. He's, he and, knows that he's trolling him. Yeah, so it, it's... Yeah, go ahead, Mike. I mean, he even says, and I don't know that you take this, he, after the IRS guy leaves, he's like, I was just kind of having fun. I don't owe the government any money. And I'm not sure how to take that if it's he's sticking by the principles he laid out in that speech that he's not going to spend on frivolous yeah, things. I, and Or if he's like legit, like, I pay my taxes. I'm just messing with him. I might bring that up in the nitpick zone. Yeah. Uh, just because I, I, I don't think that's addressed properly. Yeah, because it's, I, not, it's not clearly addressed. Right. What, what, like, what the reality of that situation yeah. is. Because I, I kind of felt like that, that, you know, Mike, what you're talking about was kind of like they threw it in at the end to try mm-hmm. to, like, somewhat <laughs> right, somewhat I, tie yeah, things I mean, up. But I think it makes things more confusing. I mean, over 20 years of back taxes is nothing to joke about. Right. <laughs> but right. I, on what income? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the well, thing. Well, so I, so we, we're, he did stay. Oh, I, I don't. He's I don't owe the, the government anything. Right, but yeah, but but uh, yeah, Mike addressed that before. You don't know if he actually like 
if he was he telling that to like calm his family down? I, I took it as he was just messing with, with the, IRS, the IRS. Like they they sent him, they sent the IRS after him just because they thought they'd get something on him, and he knew he was under control because he knew his he his it. book work. That's what I took out of it. I mean, they, you they know. did send two letters. <laughs> and those two letters were real. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, what was he making money off, like, investments? Well, he, he, he appraises stamp, stamp collections. Stamp collections, yeah. Right. Like, there's not a lot of money in that. <laughs> was there in 1938? Supporting a lot of people. What is, what is he on, like, Pawn Stars? Like, what is this? He <laughs> <laughs> The best I can do for you is three fifty. He just this is a recent. This is recently one of the hardest we've had of staying out of the nitpick zone throughout the. the uh, There's a lot of nitpicks in this one, dude. <laughs> and like after Lawrence of Arabia, we've been clamoring. Yeah, that's I true. I know yeah, Lawrence of Arabia. True. I was like forcing them. Here, I was like, all right, show some restraint, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Kirby is played by an actor that has really no accolades or anything. Was not nominated for any Oscars. Uh, his name. His name's Edward yeah. Arnold. Um, now, we talked a little about the Mr. Burnsy kind of setup with him. I think all that being said, I think there's a, a lot of restraint in that performance, too. I mean, this could have been, I mean, it was set up to be this mustache twirly, yeah. over the top villain, this, this Dickensian Ebenezer Scrooge yeah. rolling through here that's going to yeah. see the ghost of Marley who has a heart attack and dies and then he sees the rights of his own ways. You know, like. I I really dug his performance in this. I, I thought it, it, it showed a, amazing restraint. I thought he kind of made it his own and and took a lot off the screen that made it a more realistic character, particularly in the scene where they show up to dinner right. on the wrong day. The gag with the chair I was cracking up at, and, and you're waiting for this guy to explode. You're waiting for this guy to just lose his patience, curse yeah. everyone off and leave, and you don't ever get it in the house. And I really liked that choice. I, that, it totally worked for me. I mean, the, even, he, even the every never gets like the F five. He's still yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> well. Now I think yeah, it was right. the attitude adjustment. Yeah, was John Cena's. Yeah, was it John Cena's? John Cena or Brock Lesnar? Yeah. John Cena's out of it. Didn't have the spin. Yeah, I don't. Takes don't it like a, a working pro, uh, and then gives <laughs> gives the payback later on to the Russian I mean, guy. Drops the, him on his head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen. Sometimes you got to stick him. That was more of the F five. That was a that was a brain buster. Yeah, I like that Kirby. Started as a cartoon, but by the end, it's like, oh, this is a real person. It was, like yeah. he, he moved, he like the character, everything the character was doing made sense. It was yeah. a believable change. Yeah, yeah, and I, I credit a lot of that. I mean, I, I'm sure that some of that restraint is is obviously in the script, but I, I credit a lot of that on the performance because yeah. I think so many people take that performance and make make it their make their own Billy Zane, you know, exactly. like where they're gonna just yeah. go, they're just gonna make all these choices, and he really kind of even in the jail scene where you kind of. See him basically take it to the to the exploding part. There is still kind of a a, a, a level he's, of reality. A respectful, there. as much as he's you know in the opening scene, you kind of see that he has some disdain for humans. Yeah. In that scene, you still see that like from the dinner that like, there's a respectfulness to him. Well, yeah. So that you, but that's why you believe the rest. Yeah. There's this keeping up of, of appearances right. kind of thing. But I think also deep down he kind of thinks that Grandpa's right. And like you know, he doesn't want to admit it, or maybe even subconsciously he believes you know, he he knows what he's saying is true. Right? I think like, there's, there's there's also like there's a lack of of human emotion in him through a lot of that. He's so business, you know. What well, my business is my hobby, and it's like all this family stuff. He's like, I'm not even going to get upset about this. Like I'm just I'm gonna I just have to watch the clock and get out of here. Uh, but I liked it, the stomach problem. Yeah, uh, the, 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 it's an ulcer. It's not yeah, an ulcer. Yeah, the stress of right. of kind of living that way, yeah. having no. 
having no break from your job. Like it's just beating your you constantly your... thinking about deals and for you're thinking of fortunes right. and deal like and, and that stuff a weird way to you. go yeah. to anxiety and, and in the thirties when they don't yeah. know, you know, that's, yeah. that's smart. It was cool. And that's that's part of Capper's well, Capper's thesis. Yeah, and then this, this is where I want to throw this out where I mentioned earlier that I was taken aback that the, the love story I felt was the side plot. I think Kirby's along with Grandpa, he's the main character. It's his movie. It's his story um, because he's the one with the change. The argo- You nailed it, Kieran. Like, it's it's Christmas Carol. It's the guy who's yeah. got to change his ways before it's too late. And I, I mean... I don't know. Are, what do you guys think? Are, are these co-lead stories going along? Is one more in service of the other between his redemption and the kid's romance? Like, what do you guys think? I, I think that they're the, 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 the A story is the redemption along with Grandpa's message. That's yeah. kind of their A story. And the romance is the, is the marketability of it, you know, this is how we make it the rom com. You know, this is that's what brings them together. Yeah, that's, and, and yeah. intertwining the, ca- the two the catalysts. Because yeah, it doesn't yeah. work if it's just Grandpa and Kirby having these conversations based on just trying to buy your house doesn't make sense without a, n- a third party, right? And the third right. party being their child and granddaughter makes the most sense. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think if I just make it I'll compare it to one we've covered already, a gentleman's agreement, which tried to do that tried to do the 1A and have the 1B be the romance, and the romance didn't land. Didn't work Because there's all. no chemistry. This and, is the chemistry through the fucking roof. Right, and it ended right. up being a, a one-lane story. Yeah. Where this one did have the other thing to lean back on. Was like, oh, well, we do have the chemistry here, Joey, as you said, bet- between uh, Gregory Peck and, and Gene Arthur. Boy, Jimmy that wasn't Stewart. there with... Uh, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Wow. Which, Jimmy, Stewart and, Jimmy Stewart and Gene Arthur, where that was not there with Gregory Peck at, at all. all. And right. and that the A story was, was too... The script leaned too into that, and that was so down your down your throat and in your face with it. Uh, that yeah, that, that this was a little more balanced. So, uh, and I think that that kind of balance is important, especially when you don't have a big movie. You know, you're you're dealing you're dealing in rooms and you're dealing in conversations, and uh, yeah. So that, from that aspect, I, th- I thought it worked for me. Yeah, definitely. The park scene, the 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 our, 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 what, what kind of dance are we doing? The big the big apple. The big apple. Now, I've have never. we heard of the big apple before? I, I've movie? never. The big apple, yeah. No, no. Th- it was this. Are are these kids like ancestors of the lollipop gang from Oz? Or they're very, uh, very I, well. I think I think they're like they're they're sons of the Newsies. Were <laughs> <laughs> like, they the Newsies gra- grandparents? No, no Newsies right. was turn of the century. Okay, so, so they, this yes, was, yeah, this is like yes. early nineteen hundreds. So so like they're like the kids of like you know cowboy. You know the Cowboy Jack and all <laughs> all of them. I gotta say they had some moves on the dance floor. They could definitely move. And I. I admire their entrepreneurial spirit. Oh, Absolutely, sure. yeah. yeah. We need kids out there today teaching people to do uh, to do all the all yeah. the latest. Uh... Listen, if you're good at something, never do it for free. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just you know, but but apparently it was illegal to One do something. Pieces like of the movie, yeah. Dumb, there that's, you go. Oh, Look at man, that. Boom. That's a kicker. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a, it was illegal to dance like that. It was like what is this Footloose? It's just like <laughs> <laughs> dancing is forbidden. <laughs> You know what else you couldn't do back then? Sing in the rain. Big no-no on that one. There yeah. you go. We get our rodent call out, too, in the restaurant here. I Now, how is Artie reacting to this if someone falsely claims there's rats and rodents? Oh, Artie would burn the place down. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's fight, it's fight, flight, or freeze, right? I think Artie just freezes. Yeah. And God forbid if Artie was... Just down. Just Artie down. was the major D. I don't think, oh. uh, I don't think that would go well. He'd chase him down. It would be like... 
if he doesn't freeze, it would be like uh, George Costanza at the kid's birthday party when the garbage goes up to <laughs> just kick it over kids and old ladies. Yeah, that was a dick move. That was a dick move on Jimmy Stewart's part, I gotta say. That's, you know, ruined a lot of people's dinner there. But you know what? It was really funny. Um, I, I guess, but you he, know, he, it's a bunch he, of stuffed shirts. <laughs> but man, I guess he, he wanted. Got to make fun of the blue bloods. He wanted. He wanted to save his girlfriend from his fiance from embarrassment too. So that's that's helpful. Yeah. Well, yeah. he wasn't too. That was cons- a chivalrous move. He wasn't too concerned about his fiance's uh, embarrassment with his next move there, in uh, oh. s- flip flopping the days on the appointment. It's an interesting move. It's. I I do. I uh, listen, understand, let me just, I understand, I understand, his I understand the motive behind yeah. it. I, I will, I, I, as someone who's screwed up in these sorts of situations more than once, I looked at this one and I go, oh, yep, this is one of those that I don't recover from. This, <laughs> this, is, not, this, is, a, this is not a good one. This is, yeah, this, is not, this is one of those apologies that are not accepted here. Um, yeah, dude. I mean, that, 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 that was a trick. I have to say, though, probably one of the... And it's not really a scene because it went on so long. But probably the most riveted I was through the whole movie, like it's just just it's, waiting for like this guy to explode, and and that's where just the restraint there works works they out. They so, so much great. tension while also having a hysterical scene, like the servant sprinting through back and forth. Yeah, through the, the second the base, mustard. I forgot the mustard. The I forgot base. the mustard. Like that was I got hysterical. pickled pig's feet. She's like, oh, I'll make you scrambled eggs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, what what a choice by Tony. Like I get, you know, the intent of hey. If my family's gonna, you're gonna meet them. I want them to meet you guys. But what a blind side! No, he made it about him. Yeah, when it was not about him. She was right, the right. host. Did, did not. That doesn't. And there's a little bit of that in 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 Tony's character here, yeah. where it's just he is very kind of self centered, and and it's it's all about Tony. It's and, about Tony's world, and it's grass and Tony. Well, that yeah. great setup line with him, like if I ever wanted anything, all I have to do is scream, and I think that just tells you everything yeah. you need to know about Tony. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, you know, kid kid born on third base, and <laughs> you know, and and not really knowing the consequences of his actions, mm. thinking that everybody else falls in, and while you know the Vanderhoff Sycamore clan, they fall right into it. Alice, being the smartest one out of them, sees what's really going on. Yeah, and how. Maybe this is going to go left. Uh, question, question for you guys, and uh, uh, Mike. I guess I'll start with you. This is labeled a comedy. How much did you laugh? Like, did you, did you, did this movie get you at any points? There are a few points where yeah, I, I thought it was funny. There are a few points where I laughed. Yeah, yeah. I had, I had a couple of laugh out loud moments. Um, I, I guess I would say I laughed enough to agree that it should be labeled as a comedy because yeah. I don't think it necessarily fits as like a drama, as you know, as, as heavy hitting as some of the topics that they're covering can be. It's, it's candled lightheartedly so yeah I, I mean a lot of we talked the intro scene stuff i thought was very funny i thought this scene was good although i i'm pretty notorious i i don't handle embarrassment well in any Same. any scene yeah. in a movie or tv show that's like an awkward situation i'm just like imploding internally the the date <laughs> benjamin takes a lane on in gra- the graduate is like one of the most atrocious things for me ever every time i watch that movie i'm like oh my gosh i can't and th- and this was right up there you know everybody just dancing the guy's posing in a toga the chair isn't even working the guy is ordering pig's feet i like it was just one hit after another <laughs> of me going oh my gosh yeah like, how I, I, I thrive in the embarrassment <laughs> 
second the second hand embarrassment. Uh, I, that, that's that's why I can never watch Scott's Tots. I was actually going to say it's why I want Scott's oh Tots is one of my favorites. Oh, I hate Scott's Tots. <laughs> it makes oh me so uncomfortable. I'm, I'm sitting it. there dancing along with it, oh, like, hey, no. Mister Scott. What are uh, you going to do? I'm sitting there dancing with him because I love That's it. because you're a Well, psycho. we're graduated for, for college. Where are our scholarships? You're a sick man, Joey. <laughs> I know. Oh, um, and, uh, Mike, I'm right there with you in those. Like, there's, I mean, you, you, the office, there's so many Seinfeld scenes or Kirby enthusiasm scenes oh, where it's just Kirby, like. Yeah. Um, yeah. But to, this is normally one that I'm done the same way and I'll go for it. But Anthony Kirby's restraint, going back to it, uh, it, it just, dude, it just, that kept me in it because it's like oh this guy's gonna see this out here a little bit and 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 you know and even mrs kirby she kind of was was uh, made it yeah not so much but she she followed his lead a little right bit. Okay. she followed penny, the lead penny completely dunks on her about like her, 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 her that was a mess occultism occultism well my hobbies aren't stupid it's like, <laughs> i loved her husband being like what but the, but the great cuts to go to his face when they're saying that and him being like these people might actually be all right. Yeah, oh, man. Because, yeah. because he, def- he definitely hates it. He's like, he's he like hates what, are you, what are you doing today? He's like, oh, I'm going to go do yeah. a seance. She's like, oh, another seance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mike, you brought up the, the, the cut there, which is which is great, and it did get a film editing nomination. Uh, the other cut I loved was the cuts to Jimmy Stewart during the IRS scene. Yes. Where he yeah. was like, oh, well, he's, yeah. he's saying this uh-huh. to the IRS guy. This is great. <laughs> like, uh, like, I would love this. He's like, and he's a business guy. So yeah, he understands, like, he he knows understands that people the are. gravity. He understands what this is. <laughs> but he appreciates because he sees his dad in like the yes men and just these like... Yeah. It's fat cats. Yeah. It's refreshing, right? Yeah, yeah. and to see to see it be Jimmy Stewart doing right. it too it makes Who's it so, elevates it even more. Just so charming, um, so fucking charming. Yeah, yeah. the the other the other thing that you brought up earlier too, Mike, kind of how the the camera moved around the house. This got a cinematography nomination, also as we mentioned before. And now I know it's a, it's understood it's a little different in the '30s. You can't like equate a, a, a cinematography nomination in, in the '30s before there's even really color and all that. Yeah. Or, or a color. I don't want to hear Freddie Young's name dropped here at all. What's that? No, no, we're not getting Freddie <laughs> yeah, Young's. That'd be an unfair comparison. So it does mean a little different than, than what we're seeing today. But there is something to the camera work here. I agree. About making the setting of this house not just feel like your average stage set. It, yeah. It, it could have very easily felt very claustrophobic, especially during this scene, but with... The, Which is the opposite you want right. in, in a house it's, like it, this. Yeah. See, you, this feels claustrophobic. It ruins everything. Mm-hmm. So the, I think here, especially this scene, is the cinematography and the editing are fantastic. You know, we could talk about the editing and with length and stuff, but in like here, some of the cuts they do and how they move person to person and then how the camera moves through the world there, I, I really think just makes this scene so much fun. Yeah. How about the camera work for you, Mike? Yeah, I, I was kind of with you on that, thinking like, does this... Is this just like, well, we gotta somebody's gotta fill that fifth nomination <laughs> slot. Let's give it to this. Um, th- this sequence I did like, especially when the big fireworks explosion goes off, just because the the choreography <laughs> on that and even the lighting of everybody scrambling. I was like, that's that's actually something you can't do that on Broadway. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like like I said, I I got seduced with it more with that introductory scene of how we're shifting from character to character and following them through the house, getting the lay of the land and the characters, but. Here, too, I think I was more with the editing in this sequence just because of the people that they choose to focus on, that they don't 
focus a ton on like the manicness of the kitchen, which I feel is kind of the lazy move to make, but they yeah. kind of just leave that as the ticking clock in the oh, background. That, you know, when, when the food comes out, the awkwardness can end, but the food is not going to come out because he forgot the mustard and he's still got to run down the street to get it. I love that. Um, so, yeah, so to, so to cop out, I wasn't paying super close attention to the cinematography in this section. It came after um, the the cops show up and the pipe gets left on downstairs and everything starts exploding because then you can't help but notice the cinematography <laughs> once that kicks in. Yeah. Uh, there was I'm sorry. No, no, there, there was there was a moment in in the beginning where after uh, Vanderhoff recruits Poppins and they go into the elevator and the elevator door closes and then the next yeah. it, cuts, it cuts right to um Rhea, um, Reba, Reba opening up the cabinet in the kitchen and it slides open. Mm-hmm. It just it, that was just a really great transition. It was a good move. Yeah, there's a couple of few of those throughout yeah. there, but and yeah, you're right. I, you know, I was even thinking about that one. But yeah, and correct. and you know, you, you, Joey, you can you can shit on Poppins all you want. The buildup of him with that walrus mask was hilarious to me. <laughs> the buildup of him, like you kind of see him just like kind of waddling upstairs with his huge mask on, and he's like, yeah. super kick, super kick right to the chin. There's the polite, the politeness in this movie is used really excellently too. With <laughs> oh, very creative, great. I think maybe you warn someone before you uh, go ahead and, and, and pop it on, huh, Poppins? Yeah. You know, I would have had a much different reaction. The, the other great one, too, is after we get the, get the, the John Cena, you can't see me attitude adjustment on, on, <laughs> on Mr. Carvey's glasses break. Um, the, the grandpa's reaction to that is, that was a very silly thing to do. <laughs> I'm sorry that you did that. <laughs> Dude, uh, I was like, I mean, that's a great reaction. I'm very sorry that you did that. It's yeah. like, oh, I'm, he's disappointed in me. It's how you'd reprimand a toddler. Oh, yes, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And I, I, we talked about what, like, what, whether you laughed or not. And and I'm I'm tough with these. Like, it's going to be very very hard for kind of any 1930s 1940s movie to make me like laugh out loud or really do. But our Russian friend, I gotta say, Kalenkov. got me. What, what is it, Joe? Kalenkov. Kalenkov. I gotta say, he got me a couple times. He, it stinks. He, 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 it stinks. I mean, that's my quote of the movie. Confidentially, it stinks. That's my quote of the movie. There is a, uh, there's a little bit of like a Carl Winslow Urkel vibe with them too. Like, you know, like, like Vanderhoff is like kind of over his shit at times. Did I do that? Yeah. What did about I, him bringing his laundry yeah. over? Did I do that? Hey, Riba, stole the buttons up. Pulling, it, pulling his shirt out. Yeah, like, I talk about a guy like just making yourself at home. Yeah, I know. Uh, My friend, who's a Russian, died of an ulcer. Yeah. Yeah, his ongoing line of, like, I'm in time for dinner, yes? Like, he, he times these dancing lessons around, like, well, there's going to be food here, too, right? I mean, I'm already here. Yeah. Well, i got to say, his beard kind of looked like Kramer's hair. So that, <laughs> that, that might end it with, with the character a little bit. Uh, I'll save it for nitpicks. <laughs> All right, we need, great. like, three hours for nitpicks. <laughs> okay, well, then let's go to this next section, because I'm sure it'll come up later. Uh, this The jail scene into the court scene, I mean, this is just... This is like, I felt like they had to get every member of Frank Capra's family into this movie here for this. Yeah. <laughs> I and mean, this... these are two, talk about too many extras in, yeah. in two scenes. Like, I, I guess they I want the, the, the I'm community. Fine the court, I'm fine with the courtroom scene. The drunk like, tank was a little yeah, much. The drunk, like, what was it, St. Paddy's Day? Like, how come there were so many people but in the drunk there's tank? There's not 70, listen. Nitpicks on there's not seventy people in one tank. Like you're moving people because there's only one like no, come on. It's, but anyway, it's, it's half that. There was one 
there was one plot device they used here really well that I thought, though, is splitting up the men and the women. Yes, very It important. created a very cool social dynamic because seeing, uh, seeing Gene Arthur alone with Mrs. Kirby was kind of something we haven't gotten out of them. And, and you know, it's, it's nice in these early movies to see a conversation between I, two of the female leads I, that, that doesn't involve any of the men. And I, I'm sorry. Did you go, you go. Uh, and I kind of love that it doesn't pay off. Right. Yeah. That's exactly. What I was it's, say. It's, yeah. No, it's kind of great that like they just nothing was settled. I mean, I don't know if it's too early for awards. This is, this is my scene of the movie. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, t- between the t- the uh, the two women in the jail cell. Well, well, kind of the whole jail cell thing in particular, which is maybe a cheat because it goes on for like twelve minutes. But but I think just the 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 whole movie is kind of summed up in in this that you start it with. Just kind of like the light cap humor, and you, you know, have a great line with Lionel Barrymore telling Kirby, like, "Well, you did come on the wrong night, so like, technically <laughs> yeah. this is on you." But you know, you, you rotate through that with. Um, I thought the same thing. Like, it was this great plot device to split the men from the women to get that scene where Gene Arthur can finally confront Mrs. Kirby about because you know it's been building this whole time ever since she walked in on them in the office that you know there's been this tension between these two, and she's the mom is kind of the one she's hoping to win over, and and mm-hmm. like you said, Grant, I love that that. This is not like the redemptive moment where she, you know Miss Kirby is humbled and she's like, "Okay, maybe I'll give you a shot." She's like hardcore, like, "Don't talk to me." And the only reason I'm standing by you is I don't want to be hanging out with the prostitutes. So we're going to stay in this corner and we're not going to say anything to each other. Yeah, right. She I, like doubles down in how I, awful she is. I mean, truth be told, I don't think she's. I don't think her character changes at all. I think. Well, that's. <laughs> that, I think at the end she's still like. This stuck up. Yeah, when person. she gets offered dance lessons, she's like, "Yeah, maybe, maybe." She has no arc. Yeah, she's uh, just kind uh, of. <laughs> yeah, I mean the 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 men's drug the men's drug tank has four hundred guys in it, and then the women's has these three and a couple prostitutes, a few, a few prostitutes, and just absolutely. Alice finally gets yeah. her moment. Yeah, I think it works so well that she's still just such an asshole. Yeah, it keeps. I think it keeps things from being too two dimensional too. It's not just Let's parents. Kids, yeah, you know, no, it's like no. There's there's inter there's interdynamic right, uh, relationships here. Uh, my my quote of the movie is from this scene. Oh, cool, mine is too. So I wonder if we want to be nailed up on here. It, so. It's an interaction between uh, Mrs. Kirby and, uh, and and one of the prostitutes, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the uh, prostitute says, um, "Why don't why don't you come down off your high horse, lady? You might I might be able to do you some good." And Miss Kirby says, "If you don't mind, I don't need any." I don't, if you don't mind, I don't need anyone to do me good. The prostitute says, "You never can tell, Sugar Plum." <laughs> <laughs> and I just—it's like, it's like she's so Mrs. Kirby's so out of her element. And I, I thought I thought that was really and, and like and for the '30s to quote R. D. B. Really ahead of its time. That's right. Ahead and of like time, and, and, and pretty like pretty like have like. Heavily sexual and very the thirties, which I thought and they're so code for to be able to. Yeah, I, I, the that's way they that's did. a Frank Capra thing. He got away he with stuff away other with guys. This. Yeah, he got away with stuff other guys didn't. Yeah, that's, that's that's fair. You know, yeah. uh, they were like watching over Hitchcock like a hawk, and, and Capra's like, oh, we got a heartwarming Capra movie. It's a movie screwball going. romance. That's right. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> romance with full frontal nudity. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So my quote I mean, is: You say that, but it's it's true. His last movie featured. I full frontal nudity. There's there's nudity in Lost Horizon. He gets really? away with it because he's like it's a bodysuit. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah. So my quote is from the other uh, the other drunk tank, okay. and uh, it's it's from Grandpa, and he just goes, um, 
If you'll excuse me, Mr. Kirby, I don't believe anyone has the right to interfere with young people in love. That's uh, yeah, just a nice Preachy. little throwaway line. And a, right. a lot of his monologues bordered preachy and, you know, to, to, yeah. I'm going to tell you how life should yeah. be lived more than, kind of more stuff. More bordered. Yeah, I mean, right. right here, it's, <laughs> it's very preachy. Yeah, right. But this one was like just kind of like, ah, this is an area where I'm not getting involved. And I, I kind of liked that with, within what was going on in the movie. Well, he so. trusts his granddaughter. Yeah. And, like, yeah. and that's the thing. Like, And Kirby doesn't trust his son. Right. Yeah, and kind of, yeah, what he said, I think what he says earlier is basically like, well, if, you know, if, she, if she's in love with him, and I think if they're in love with each other, she's in love with him, and that's good enough for me. Yeah, right, exactly. That's all he needs. Yeah. yeah. The court scene is banana pants. I mean, <laughs> that did, it reminded me a lot of the ending of It's a Wonderful Life, with everyone everyone yeah. chipping in. I'm yeah, like, it's a warm I'm up. like, I'm like, oh, I've definitely seen this before. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. We're going back to well, it. it even, yeah, it even has the same thesis. It's no man is poor who has friends. Right, exactly. Right. And they make this huge point of like, oh, they're all here for Kirby. They're like, no, they're Vanderhoff's friends. I didn't realize <laughs> people had this many friends nowadays. Yeah, yeah, it's a good line. But um, I like that at first because Kirby, you know, because Vanderhoff saves Kirby essentially, saying like, no, he was there to talk about the house. Yeah, whatever. And then the fact that Kirby tries to repay him, but the community's like, fuck you, guy. Like, no, no, we're going to take care of our... You're trying to yeah. destroy us. So even though right now you're trying to look like you're doing the right thing, they're still not giving we're you not, credit. We're not giving you that satisfaction. Right. I like that yeah. they don't lean into that so early. Like, oh, he's a great guy now. Like, they let him still... No, 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 we don't believe you. And they, and they, and they got, like, basically, like, like a heel. People throwing popcorn at them on their way, on their way <laughs> backstage. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is this is we're getting into the super heavy-handed section of this yeah. uh, of yeah. this movie here. Uh, whether it's the taking collections, now we're going back to the to the courtroom. We get the sale of the house, the the newspapers, the newspaper reels are over the top, yeah, over the top. And, um, and yeah, the uh, the the board, the the Mr. Ramsey speech. The Ramsey stuff was the most heavy-handed part. Then he just dies. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. you don't have friends. And just like it, it goes over. <laughs> I was like you. Yeah. You know that's that's the that's the Jacob Marley. Yeah, that's the Jacob yeah, Marley Jacob section. Marley. I, I gotta say, as I'm watching this, you know, he's giving the speech, and I'm like, uh, I liked how they we get the back of his head. We don't get his face. Like I kind of dug that. I don't know, uh. you know. I'm wondering if that's because he couldn't deliver the speech yeah, and they had to go on a double. But failure. it was just different, you know. So there's sure. a little different. Well, so I'm like, okay. Then he starts grabbing his heart. I'm like. He's gonna kill over and die in the conversation right now. They're, they're really gonna do this, right? And then they, then they didn't. And I'm like, oh, okay. These are not allowed. I'm like, all right. Well, that's that's yeah. that's something yeah, the, a, a little. I guess I'm glad they didn't. The suggestion didn't go there. Right. And then, like five minutes later, the guy calls in. He's like, uh, yeah, he died in the laundry room. Just so you know, he's dead. Yeah. What? what? Say it again. Uh, yeah, he's dead. Yeah. I'm like. Oh, that's worse than having him keel over on the coffee table. Like, true, he's true to Shakespeare, he had the common decency to die off screen. <laughs> he's, he's gone, and there's nothing we can do about it. My actions literally murdered a man. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, I wanted to be the best arms dealer in America. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to control all the war's weapons. Yeah, I Wait, let's go back to that for a yeah. second here. Like, it's like, so what? you know what? I want to be a war prophet. Too. That'd be great. You know what I learned from? You yeah. know what I learned from the Great War? Yeah. I didn't make enough money. Yeah. Now let me let me ask you that though, because I mean that's obviously like a decision. Is that like? Do you think that's like? Uh, I don't know. Again, Mike, you said before, like it's Capra didn't write this thing. Are the screenwriters going all in on metaphors there with that? I mean, because that, that's that's a that's a big decision here. I mean, 
I I haven't seen the play, so from what I understand, like it's a lot more home centric, and the background of Father Kirby isn't super well known. But this, like I was mentioning, this is Capra's thing. He opens with like the MacGuffin business deal that yeah. works enough to get a plot moving, but doesn't work like nuts and bolts. And this is like cream of the crop because it's like you're telling me you went you went to Washington D.C. and got a sanction from the government that said like, yeah, you can have a monopoly on arms when we're likely about to enter another world war like that's totally fine you do you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you five yeah. percent profit on the atomic bomb um yeah. but like, I mean, listen i yeah i, I mean I, I just did a rewatch of band of band of brothers that's a lot of guns yeah i mean it's <laughs> so it's so big for how small this movie is right. like this is not I like know. We're not like like we're not crossing oceans and stuff with this right. movie here. We're we're, we're in we're he in a complains that Washington's room. too far. I mean, we're painting a guy yeah. in like a Caesar outfit <laughs> holding a, a discus. Like right. we're, like this is not a, this, that's that's as like There's, big that's as worldly as this movie right. really gets. Yeah, this movie covers like three blocks. Well, well, to go back to Kieran, like it, it definitely is like leaning in on the metaphors because if it's a redemptive arc for a guy consumed by greed, well, you know, from a screenwriting perspective, if you're going to go heavy-handed, what's the worst thing you can be greedy oh, over? Sure. You can be in the war industry, you know, you can be in the military-industrial complex. So I, I think they do that to to make this like a gigantic redemptive arc that it's not just he owns all of the cookie factories. You know, it's literally. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's right. he's literally over there. Yeah, but it's like Kirby's <laughs> cupcakes is really, really <laughs> yeah. him out of business. You, you want your Oreos? You got to go to Kirby. <laughs> um, yeah, Hydrox can suck it. <laughs> it's 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 going to like strange strange love lengths yeah. with that, where it's like it's you know. Evil. The, it's yeah. literally, it's like the most evil thing you can think of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Every weapon in America will be made by us. Like, that's dark. Yeah. It's, it's very dark. But Jimmy but... Stewart, like, just wide-eyed, like, oh. Let's do the big apple. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, want, I want to learn how uh, chlorophyll works. <laughs> it was invented, yeah, it was found 200 years earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Gonna... Yeah. Right. So, well, the no. solar panels were made in, like, the early 1800s. Like, Stewart, you got to hang out with like, Poppins. He's got better ideas make, than you. I want, I, hold on now. I want to make chlorophyll panels. I want to put chlorophyll inside these things. We can power an entire city grid. Yeah. Model T Ford. Me, me and Bob. <laughs> oh, boy. We'll, we'll, name, we'll name a Tesla, yeah. The conclusion here. We learned that harmonicas solve all the world's problems. It turns... It, it turns warmongering monsters into into great fathers, and it solves was, relationship problems. Was, yeah, that was his rosebud. That was his rosebud. <laughs> he just, he just needed to play. He just needed to play. He the, needed to the, find the, one hobby again. He needed to play the second harmonica on a, on <laughs> Yankee Doodle or Holly Wally Doodle. He needed to be the rhythm harmonica. <laughs> Imagine how much more smoothly your season two rankings episode could have gone if you just had a pair of harmonicas. <laughs> ah, yeah, well, you know what, Mike? That, you're that's right. That's not a bad idea. So, you're Mike, right. so what you're saying is when we do our 45 ranking in a few months, we should have a couple harmonicas yeah, ready? You've, Charlie Sheen comes yeah, up. Yeah, you, you, need, you know, a vibraphone, some harmonicas. You need <laughs> we're the gonna need, We're going to need that for Titanic, for sure. <laughs> We're just gonna be screaming uh, at each other, be like time, Polly Wally Doodle, timeout. Yeah, you, you got to play. My heart will go on. on that's right. Yes, that's right. I, I just bring, right I just bring bagpipes. Everyone's like, boo, get out of here. Yeah, that, that and White Rabbit. You know, <laughs> White Rabbit on the harmonica too. We'll get, help our platoon debate. Anything else you guys want to throw out about the about the final scene of the movie? The the way it concludes. No, or, I mean, you you kind of see this coming a mile away. Yeah. Like everything, I mean, given it's 
the time period. I don't know if that's it's just... It's predictable. Yeah, I don't know if that's just me looking at this through my 2022 lens. But, yeah, I mean, you, you knew that Kirby was going to have a change of heart and the kids are going to get back together. Uh, but... I don't think that yeah, hurts even, it, though. Yeah, even though, even though it's still really rewarding right. and you still kind of leave with a smile on your face. Yeah. It's still unclear to me how or why the kids got back together, though. They kind of were... We see them fighting through a door, and then we go back to the harmonicas, and then they're just they're, they're hugging each other, and then that's like the poster of the movie. He's like, <laughs> what, yeah. like what, what? Kirby gave his approval. That's all she needed. Once Kirby gave the nod, it's very. There was a lot of elements to her leaving the tabloids, yeah. the um, her lack of trust very, within shallow, yeah. the trust of their relationship. She overtly, yeah, ver- yeah. She overtly says like, "I don't like the way you've been treated. Maybe it's." you're not good enough for my family instead of the right. other way around. So so maybe him humbling himself and coming back over and playing the harmonica and doing the pile driver on uh, the Russian... <laughs> maybe, maybe that sways her. Kalikov getting... getting, getting and, and, and quick quick rewind here. Yeah. A, a genuine question, because the, the speech, you know, Jimmy Stewart comes to Lionel Barrymore and Lionel Barrymore says, we have, we have a no-snitching policy and all this stuff, but if you use your noggin, Just there's a trunk upstairs that's going where she's going. Was Jimmy Stewart going to hide in that trunk and then just have the movers drive him to Connecticut? Was that the plan? Uh, um, wow. Okay, so I feared that greatly. Mm-hmm. Again, remember, I didn't remember exactly where this movie was going. Jimmy Stewart! <laughs> uh, as he's going up there, I'm like, I hope he's going to write a note or something and put it right. in the trunk, because if this ends with Jimmy Stewart in the trunk, I mean, Jimmy Stewart's like 6'8". <laughs> 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 I mean, yeah. Unless everyone else in this yeah. movie is just... But the best way to get over one. is go in a box. Well, just, like, there would have been structural symmetry with, like, the book with the pop-up snake in the beginning. Like, at the end, you could have, like, Jimmy Stewart just <laughs> popping out of his trunk. Coming out like a fuzzy bunny to a lullaby. Yeah. So, <laughs> pop, pop out of the trunk wearing a walrus mask. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Poppins comes up with ideas, so he could have helped him. <laughs> just uh, Poppins I, is already in the trunk. I come up with good. things. Um, okay, so, and, you know, I gotta say, with the number one song of the country that year being a tisket a tasket, maybe Polly Wally Doodle is all people needed, you know? That's it. Saves the world. We need simple tunes. Tasket, Jimmy Stewart in a basket. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. I think that we got almost have to end on that. Um, Okay, so uh, although although I feel like we've had one foot in and and one foot out uh, this whole time, I think it is time to officially enter the nitpick zone. Mike, you're uh, you're our our special VIP guest here today, my friend. So we're gonna let you go first. Throw out a nitpick for us here that you'd like to tackle first. Okay, I, I start small and I work up big. The first one is there's no way in hell a kitten is gonna stay sitting still while there's fireworks being shot off <laughs> up the chimney. No, that kitten that kitten is shitting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like that's why she writes plays. She just keeps getting crap all over it. Um, I our 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 Russian dancing instructor. I think the the fat suit, the belly. I don't know if this is a makeup thing or a, a framing thing, but there's some inconsistency there. There's like some Eddie yeah, Murphy yeah. clumps level going on in some shots, and there's other shots that's just like oh, it's just a little paunch. So there's there's a lot of inconsistency just, with the belly there on Kalenkov. 
Yeah, it lo- it looks like he's just wearing a pillow under his shirt at times. Because he, <laughs> he doesn't have, like, a yeah. fat face. No. Or, like, anything like that. So he just has, like, this enormous... That disappears yeah. when he untucks his shirt. Well, listen, as a fat guy, your gut does look less severe as a <laughs> when his shirt's untucked. Um, I, yeah, that, that might even just be a Russian stereotype. Like, we have to have uh, the gut sticking out to have him... You know, is that a star? I don't know. It, it seems it seems like an odd choice yeah. there. The, I mean, the beard is another one too. I, I don't know what was. I mean, Mikey made a face before when I brought the beard up. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say the fat suit is mine. The beard, I was like, ah, you know, whatever. It's yeah. <laughs> well, I, I forget this actor's name, but I know this. This is his career is to play like this crazy Russian stereotype. So, I, you know, the beard just kind of oh, like part and parcel with that. He's like he's like the guy from Armageddon, who just all he does is play crazy <laughs> Russians. <laughs> <laughs> Every generation needs one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike, on your nitpick with the kitten, I mean, as someone who's yep. who's definitely been around a lot of a lot of raising a lot of kittens, they absolutely do not sit still. There's no way no. that in a house without rockets right. or things they'd sit still, uh, or even on just like a, a surface like that, and they'd be ripping those papers up and knocking them over the place. No, now you could get a you could get mm-hmm. a a ten year old lazy overweight cat. House cat to sit there and, and do sure. it, but yeah. you'd have a hard time getting the paper up from under it. Right, you can get Garfield to do that for sure. Yes, Garfield will be on that. Yeah, okay. and and this is kind of the big one. This is maybe not even the nitpick zone. This might enter the realm of like actual valid criticism. But I I mentioned <laughs> earlier Capra, he has his his hooks and his messages, and I mentioned you know he he has a tendency to not commit to examining those. And I think with the character arc of Kirby, like he, he does a, a decent job. It's more serviceable than others. But I think this, this idea again of the, the Vanderhoff house as this microcosm of ideal America where everybody does what they feel like there, there's a lot of nitpicks I have with it because it's touted as like, this is the system and this is the way it can work. But I, I guess my nitpick is not so much that he ignores that, but that the critiques of the system are very much in the subtext because a lot of the <laughs> problems there is, well, he owns his own property on a very nice street. And the subtext there is actually that he's earned that because he was in business for decades. You know, he hasn't, he hasn't been at it for 35 years, but you know, at the time he had made this decision to, you know, walk down the elevator and walk away. He probably had a nice little nest egg set up for himself. They're, this is a family. They've, they've got help. You know, they, I can't remember. You've got Reba, and I can't remember her fiance's name. But you, you've got them still. You know, performing the servants' role. Like this is still like a very privileged mm-hmm. America. You know, it's it's right. movie championing like lower class. It's the, it's the movie that's trying to look out for the guys that would rush the drunk tank to get a cigar. But then, you know, here's this guy saying, "Walk away, leave it all." It's like, well, you know, you you own your own house and all that. So. My nitpick there was like again, Capra doesn't commit to, you know, hey, does this work? Because even when they blow up a city block, and you guys saw those explosions, like that's that's going into yeah. the next property lines easily. Everyone's just kind of like, ah, that's just his grandpa's house, you know, whatever. <laughs> it, as, I'm just like, you know, Capra, I love it. Again, I'll, I'll eat the Capricorn all day. This movie's rife with it. it. It doesn't bother me that it's preachy. That comes with the territory, but. Again, for him to to preach this as everybody should just go and do whatever they want and have fun, he doesn't yeah. do the study of it because again, they own property, sure. um, they have help, and everybody's hobby is a, a productive thing. Everybody in the house creates. Essie makes the chocolates. Ed 
delivers them. The guys are making fireworks to sell. You know, all, the, all this stuff is still very entrepreneurial. There's, there's nobody in the house that just wants to read books all day and do nothing, you know? Yeah, I, I 100%, I 100% agree. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a non, it's a non-realistic way of showing this utopia. Yeah, and you have Grandpa really yeah. coming off, basically it's just like the ultimate enabler. I mean, he's, you know, uh, she's mm-hmm. just dancing around the house all day and like we're accomplishing nothing with her life well, other than making, just, she's she making makes the candies. candies. Uh, she's she signed the, the dancing. It's got to stop yeah. the dancing. Uh, it, it's, it, you know, how's she going? Is she making any progress? Uh, no, she stinks. She stinks. Well, as long as she's happy. It's like, uh, okay, well, <laughs> well it's I'm not happy. Right. I'm not happy watching her. It's, it's okay, a, so what yeah. about me? Well, it's, it's very idealistic right. and very unrealistic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that was one of mine. Mike just said right. it way better than I did. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to go... Well, beat up our buddy Poppins, Joe. Well, this is your... As he should. I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait. Well, you know what? I'll start with my Poppins. Where did Poppins live before this? Did he just abandon his mother? Oh, did, why did he say he was living? No, with I just assumed. <laughs> I just assumed he was living with. Well, he's kind of an old guy. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying she's alive. alive. It could be like a psycho uh, type thing. But <laughs> I don't he's, know. I don't he's living know. with his mother. I didn't like, see so the did subtext he, on that one. Did he Joey. just abandon her? Uh, I'll, I'll, I have a nitpick. A, a, a Poppins nitpick. I'll throw out. I'm sure why is everyone so impressed with this bunny in the box here? Like, like everyone is instantly like, "Oh my god, that is wonderful!" Like, did you ever see toys from the thirties? I mean, everyone instantly is like, "This is the greatest thing!" It's like, he's I mean, ca- I could not build that. Yeah. yeah, he's carrying it around. I'm not saying I could build it either, but I also not. I wouldn't see that. Like, if someone was like, "Hey, look what I made," I'd be like, "Oh, all right," like, you know. Yeah. Now, now you would find that a like- we're talking to Utah on a computer right now, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> This is something that would be at like Spencer. You'd find it like Spencer's gifts or like gadgets and gizmos or something like that. Like some like weird kiosk in the mall. But But again, toys were cans that they kicked out the street back in the '30s. I think that might have been kind of impressive. I did think Poppins' best performance of the whole movie was when he his reaction to his boss almost smashing the bunny. That like that was like he was like, "Do do not do that! Do not do that!" Yeah, well, I think to def- to defend that, I mean, I think the you know the people in the office. I don't know how much they shower. I I think like the thing there is like everybody's just miserable at their job, adding up figures. So this is a, a breath of fresh air. So that's why they freak out. And then the the guys at the house, they're just like clearly trained to just welcome everybody because Grandpa brings home somebody new every night. So that's their whole thing is to just be the most kind hearted, loving, accepting people in the universe. And just freak out over every little passion. That's that's their thing, you know. Praise Essie, even though her dancing stinks. Yeah. So we bring in Poppins, who makes this bunny in a box with the, you know, with kind of like a bunny music box, the half Jack in the Box kind of thing. Yeah. So let's harvest his creative designs, and that comes into like turns into horror masks. Like where? Well, first the well, step. Where was the step there? Well, first, first he does the Snow White. Guy in the lamppost. Right, there's our connection with Snow White. Whistle while you whistle work. Whistle while you work. There we go. We, 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 we so filled that. Tied, that we tied, tied that back tied in. That in. Um, and then, yeah, then he's making horror. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big, it's a, it's a steep turn. I guess he's living down in that basement. God knows what's going on. He's a lonely guy. <laughs> oh, but uh, Grant, what do you have here? Give, give I, us I a do, I do have one. So Ed Carmichael presumably played football at Alabama. Yes. I know it was the 30s and football was a very different animal, but I have a very hard time believing that he played for the same program as like Derrick Henry and like Julio Jones. <laughs> I mean, five, <laughs> just, five, just, five, potentially 
Forrest Gumpian. Yeah, playing Alabama. I don't. I, what I year? Agree. What year does this take place? Do we? Do I, we have I, a I, I want to say it's like thirty-eight. I yeah, want to say it's I, like. Is it an in time? Yeah, I want to say. It's like, I think it's at the top. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know Alabama football in nineteen thirty-eight. I mean, there's probably not a lot of interracial football going on. No, there, so I don't know, especially in Alabama. Yeah, um, so I don't know what. But do you, you think know. Ed Xylophone Ed? They weren't even wearing helmets back then. It definitely seems like he got hit in the head a couple times. I mean, he definitely got hit in the head. It's quite one, a lot, yeah. of, one of my nitpicks is: Are they making fun of people from Alabama? I think they probably were. Yeah, yeah, they probably were. Okay, here's here's another one: uh, a room full of uh, three or four guys in in the time when HUAC was getting up on its feet before it got interrupted by World War II. A bunch of guys sat in a room and said, "You know what would be a great idea? With everybody scared of communists, why don't we put in two candy wrappers? The revolution is coming." <laughs> The red flag will wave all. See Ed for more details. Like, nobody fact-checked this. Part of, part of my nitpicks is, like, you guys ran this idea, and none of you thought, I was like, oh, hey, people might think we're actually starting a revolution here. Right. Like, let's talk, to, let's, talk to, let's talk to Grandpa or Alice yeah. real quick. Let's, let's, run this about, let's run this by somebody reasonable, so we don't have the fucking authorities coming down on us. <laughs> While we're making explosives, illegal yeah, explosives. We're, we're making illegal explosives, non-regulated explosives. In a, in, inside. I got one here, and you guys all, I think you all, three of you alluded to this a little bit before, and this goes back to Grandpa bringing people into the house. Um, whether it's going to the park, or his recruitment of Poppins, and, you know, they're just coming in, and they're just living, yeah, yeah. Nine years ago, I said I was coming. How far, like, how far is this from the Manson Ranch? I mean, he's, he's making, I mean, this is like, this is like, yeah, you said it like, this is not far off from the scene we see in, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where it's just all these hippies sitting around. He's just recruiting old running. guys yeah. instead of young girls. <laughs> yeah. Maybe oh. we actually do want to start a revolution. Uh, yeah, yeah, you want Poppins of the Leader Revolution? <laughs> well, he's got the he's got the masks for it. That's get a, true. Get a wall, that's the walrus terrible. leader, like a bunch of home invaders wearing that walrus mask. That's actually <laughs> fucking terrifying. <laughs> I just got a, a, a one to throw out. Just to, just the answer is no. Giant darts in the dining room with people walking and dancing around. No, absolutely not. He was absolutely to throw them not. Russia. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, no. Yeah, he was about yeah. to throw them yeah. at his own grandmother. This is we're right. losing eyes. We're getting stabbed. Not good. That used to be a children's toy. <laughs> the long darts? Yeah. 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 For our, our parents, our parents right. used to have toys like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mr. Twitchface? Mr. Twitchface comes to the jail and pretty much tells Vanderhoff that, yeah, I set you up, and I'm going to keep setting you up in front of police officers. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, but did he? Because really all he did was tip off the authorities that this guy's been dodging his taxes for 20 years. Right, but what he said was he's going to make it worse. Like, it's going to keep coming. He's going to keep so going. Yeah. It's, that's the yeah, I, Right. Yeah, there was Initial one, probably not that bad. To say I'm going to keep doing it, not great. Right. Like, hey, I know you committed a crime. I tipped him off. That's fine. Well, maybe he was upset about our protagonist bullying him for having a facial tick. What was that about, Mr. Twitch? Fa- I mean, Jesus, I think, dude. You're supposed to be the loving, thing. fostering, creative I guy. Think, like, was, oh, we, we should call you Twitchy Twitch Face. I think like, he, he was, what? He was bullying him. <laughs> he was bullying him. No, no, but like, it wasn't because like... The, the guy's twitch isn't because of, like, Tourette's or something. He doesn't know that. You just seeing a guy with a facial I think, tick. I think he assumes... 
that he, uh, he, you know, there's this whole thing about like rally against the working people working themselves to death. Isn't that worse? Like a guy rolls in in a wheelchair. Well, see, this is what happens when you work too hard, Mister you know? <laughs> Mister Wheelie Wheels. Yeah. Like, come on. Oh my God! He starts calling you Professor X. It's like, yeah. it's like how did you know this forty years before X Men? Yeah. See, when you don't care about things, uh, then you just you live I, a normal, able life. I I have I have a weird one. Is it weird? If you have a pet crow, to name it Jim. Oh. Um, In the 30s, no. I, yeah, that's I guess. every crow until like 1962 was named Jim. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hate to bring it there, but like, yeah. no, that, I, that, that's something that stuck out. I didn't know like, where to put that, to be completely yeah. honest with you, but yeah. Except for Brooks's. Yeah, well, exactly. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, but yeah. Well, his, what, was, what was his crow's name? Uh, Jake. Yep. Jake. His was Jake. Yeah, Jake. So he, he, just, he just went Jake, off a little. Jake works. That's how it works. There's nothing there. Um, is can you be prosecuted for daring Grandpa to slide down a banister? No. I mean, with hip injuries killing old no. people left and right. I mean, that that's 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 a that's a, this is listen. It's a dick move, but it's not illegal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's I think, the one who should know better. He's got life experience. I think if True. he's got a big will, there's a there could be a lot called into question here. Oh, interesting. Grandpa broke his hip. <laughs> How did he broke his hip? Well, his granddaughter dared him to slide down the banister, and he's a free-willed person. And then she's just doing spins. And she's just throwing, like, banana peels all over the place. Like, at the top of the stairs. For the candy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, the the amount of people in the jail cell multiplying during the fight before between Vanderhoff and Kirby is insane. Like, it was like a soundstage with like 75 people. The door never opens yeah. and they keep with them. Right. Keep like, going. He's, I mean, like the cigar scene, there's like 10 to 20 people in that jail cell. All right, overpacked, but fine. Then during the fight, there's literally 75 people stuffed. Like, what happened? Well, I mean, this segues into my next one. Based on how they're arresting people, I'm sure they're going to have plenty of full cells. It's like, oh, we have a zoning issue over here. Everyone on the block's coming in with me. That's it. Yeah. We're gonna, we'll, we'll ask questions later. We'll prosecute for the as entire questions house later. Is right. what, like, I don't like. I don't know the 1938 rules, but like, is that how that works? Does it's, probably, every, it's, probably, it's probably pretty similar. To yeah. Now, but does everyone get rounded up in the house because if they no got one a noise says complaint? It's theirs, yeah. But like, say you get say that say the three of us are driving and we get pulled over. Okay, but that's a little different. No, I know, but just for like context. But okay. like, if if there's something in it and one person says, "Okay, that's mine," only one person gets arrested. But if everybody says, oh, "I don't know how it got here," everybody gets if arrested. You, if you had a house party, if you were at a house party and the cops came and they found like a kilo of cocaine and no one fessed up to it, they'd probably bring in a lot of right. people. Right, because now you're looking at the communist threats plus. A well, basement full of gunpowder and explosives. Probably everyone's going to work it out. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm good with that. I just don't know if Kirby makes it to the bench. I just don't because I, of his name. But he couldn't get in touch with the lawyers right away. Yeah, in 1930, it's tough tougher to get in touch with people. And also, what time is this all happening? It's nighttime. It's nighttime. Well, it's all right. Cool. So, yeah. So I have no because they were there for hours, right? Right. So say it's nine o'clock, nine ten o'clock. Okay. So you they, think, they have court that runs that late show. I mean, in 1938, I have no fucking idea, but the implication was they called it Night Court. Okay. It, That's a good show. It, it seems a, a little <laughs> it seems a little script writer-y to me. Like, I'm Constable oh, Jimmy sure. John says everybody's going the down to the station. Good. Yeah. Constable Bombstable. Like, the cops, yeah. were, like <laughs> the cops were kind of ridiculous. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, 
Um, okay, I, I've, I've worn out a lot here. Do we I, have any I more? I, I think I'm good. I hit what I wanted to hit. Yeah. I, don't I, I don't think there's any IRS <laughs> people who just feel like they need to justify the theories behind why we serve taxes, but I think they just lead with, if you don't pay them, you're going to jail. Right. right. That's but why that's, I pay them. Right. I, I pay them so I don't get in trouble. <laughs> like, I, dri- like <laughs> I, drive, I drive on every road on Long Island and it sucks, and I say, what are my taxes going to? And then I pay them because mm-hmm. I don't want to go to jail. Yeah. By the way, I was, I was Googling like penalties for illegal fireworks and then I was just like you know what I just better stop this I don't want to be fl- I don't want to be flagged for something right now <laughs> you know I, do, I am curious but I'm not that curious if I laid homemade explosives how much trouble can I get into <laughs> It's on an incognito search. It's fine. <laughs> oh my god! We're on this dark web. Thing. Yeah, search the dark web. For yeah. this. Okay, um, let's move on before we, get, we continue to get ourselves in even before we get in trouble. <laughs> right. You can't you can't take it with you anywhere you go. We can't right. take any of you guys with me anywhere I go. That's it. Um, the problem is you're stuck. All right, the awards, the awards, Mike. See, we do eventually get to the end to the to the awards section of these episodes. Believe it or not, MVP uh, Grant. Oh, I feel like we're gonna start with you. Right, we're Holy gonna we're moly. Let, we're, we're, we're just settle in. You're the resident the resident tournament champion around Holy here. Holy so moly! That's, that's the card I'll play for this one. I will openly admit that this is one of the harder MVPs that I've had. That I've had. Yeah, but I I thought for sure I was going to pick Jimmy Stewart. I did not. I picked Lionel Barrymore. Ooh, uh, I really liked his performance, especially uh, especially his performance when he's talking to Alice in in her bedroom. Um, and I, I think he carries the emotional weight of the movie. So a lot more was put on him than Jimmy Stewart. Cool. For as much as I love him. Yeah. Love it. All right, Mike, uh, I'm going to, your newcomer, your first, uh, your first ever Best Picture Cast MVP. Here it is. What'd you get? So I, I switched it up. I came close to making Lionel Barrymore. Mine is actually Edward Arnold, Mr. Kirby himself. Oh, um, wow. Just for a lot of the... Lot, a lot of reasons you pointed out earlier, Kieran, that he's, he's the, the cartoonish rich guy with an arc that has a little bit of soul. And I think there's still a lot of contrivances in how he arrives at his Scrooge on Christmas morning thing. But it's to, to be blunt, Edward Arnold's a character actor from the 30s who he especially worked a lot with Capra. And this is his character he plays. He plays... The stuffy, you know, in, the next year in Mr. Smith goes to Washington, he's like the big political boss that pulls all the strings. And a movie that Frank Capper made a couple years later called Meet John Doe, he's this despicable William Randolph Hearst figure who's like completely irredeemable. And, and I had actually watched a lot of those before You Can't Take It With You. So here we roll into the first scene and it's like he has contempt for the common man. I'm like, okay, Ed, he's doing, Ed, Edward Arnold is doing his thing for a Capper movie. And just for him to have a lot of these small moments, the, the jail cell scene, to turn to Jimmy Stewart and you know have the talk about, I was going to marry a waitress and my dad talked it out of me. I like a lot of the tender moments he has with Lionel Barrymore. I, I like the end thing with the harmonica where he says, Tony's walked out of me and I'm sick about it. I, I thought he really nailed those moments. And so Lionel Barrymore was going to be my MVP because he clearly like steals the show. But for Edward Arnold to rise above, like, the stock character he is hired to play for most of his career to make, you know, to stand out that much in this movie, I had to give him MVP. Love yeah, that. wow, love That's it, awesome. love it, Joe. I really wanted to go with Jimmy Stewart, but you know, for all that's been said, I went Lionel Barrymore. I, okay, I really Barrymore. loved yeah. everything he did, and you know, like I said, the the Alice scene, the IRS scene, the jail scene. Like, I think he had so much range and held so much here. I really. 
really dug what he did. For me, man, I had, like I said, I had a, a, a hard time with this. And the reason that I had the hard time with this is, and it's amazing that this sort of thing hasn't come up that uh, that much here with me. But so, like, I feel like there's like your your statistician's answer for this, and then there's the answer to my viewing experience this time around. So, you know, in watching this, who who was the MVP that sucked me into this? That brought this movie to whatever my ranking is going to be for it. What brought it there? And then the other one is the statistician's answer is, why is this movie a movie we're talking about today? Like, why is this, what, you know, why was this a Best Picture winner? Why is this here? That's the boring answer. And the boring answer is the is Frank Capra. It's There's no way this wins Best Picture without yeah. the Frank Capra brand. You know, you could even throw Jimmy Stewart in that conversation, too, if he's not in it, too. If Capra and Stewart aren't involved in this, this is an obscure movie that we're not even thinking about or probably have access to. So he's kind of like that boring answer. But if I'm going with my viewing experience here, what kept me in on this movie, it was also Edward Arnold's, Mike. I had him down for that too. Um, For really really the reasons that you said. Uh, Breaking through that stock character is the words you use, and I love that. I love that, that phrasing. He avoided all the obvious choices. And all the things, the twirling of the mustache, all that stuff that we normally see for this type of character, he went the other way. How much of it was Frank Capra's direction? How much of it was in the script? I think that within the entity of this movie, it's Edward Arnold. If you if you step back and, and look at the backs of everyone's baseball card, it's probably Frank Capra. Like we said, it's the hit, it's yeah. the hit song only because there was another album of right. hit songs, and that's why people bought it. There was a quote Joey had at the beginning I wrote that said, it's predictable, but I didn't mind it. And I, I wrote that down because I felt that kind of sums up what makes Capra so great. And that Edward Arnold had two scenes like that, the you know him solemnly in the office before the deal and throwing the harmonica across the table, and the elevator ride up. Like You, can, you could call that those scenes were going to happen like 40 minutes before that, but he still... You know, Capra finds a way to make the predictable powerful still, and I think Edward Arnold nailed that with his performance too. Sure. Yeah, and he gave his antagonist a lot of humanity, you know, yeah. right down to the to to the stomach ulcer. Yep. I mean, how many you know how many yeah. villains do we get that have that extra little layer to their character, or you know, the, the harmonica gimmick, the uh, a, a lot of that stuff? So yeah, no, that, that that's cool. So that's a, that's a cool even split there for it. us. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's great. LVP gets a little a little trickier here. Uh, Joey, I'm going to have you <laughs> go first here this time as our our resident veteran. <laughs> Could it be? Yeah, uh, Donald Meek. Uh, I never want to see that clown again oh, as no. Poppins. Oh, super kicking him down the stairs. Uh. Super LVP, second, number two LVP, all time of the 47 movies. Wow. 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 Yeah. Ooh, so, so I'm mad at, I'm mad at Joey. Um, Do- Donald Meek never was an actor more appropriately named because this is his, his character is <laughs> like the shit upon Little Stooge. It but happens he, a lot, um, like, don't worry. <laughs> I, I have, Tenderness in my heart for Donald Meek because the next, yeah, in the next year, 1939, he stars in my all-time favorite Western, Stagecoach, as a, a timid, put-upon whiskey salesman, and I love him, so I, it breaks my heart yeah. to hear him. Make John it Ford, right? It's your list. It's your call. Grant, LVP. Uh, my LVP is uh, somebody that we, we touched on briefly, Clarence Wilson, who plays John Blakely. Wasn't thrilled with his performance. Mm-hmm. I thought the... The tick was so over the top, especially was, in the jail cell. It was just, it was distracting. It mm-hmm. wasn't, fu- it mm-hmm. wasn't funny. Yeah, he just didn't do it for me. Yeah. Was it meant to be funny? Yeah, I think it was played for comedy. I think it was played, definitely yeah. played for comedy. And I don't That's know, bad. I think yeah. that failed. Yeah, okay. we got that with the stutter in Broadway Melody. Yeah, that I got good. more. Like this, just yeah, felt not, not, not good. Um, 
Mike, LVP, your first LVP. Someone else we've touched on, uh, my LVP is Charles Lane as the IRS auditor for reasons that have been mentioned. Uh, you know, an, an IRS auditor who has never heard of anybody who doesn't want to pay taxes and, and who responds with <laughs> a temper tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and kind of for the same reasons as yours, Grant. Like the, these are guys played for laughs. They represent institutions, which the movie is clearly lambasting. Uh, so you know the caricature was a decision to to poke fun at these institutions, but uh, neither of them really landed. Okay, mine is someone who we really did not talk much about so far, and that's Samuel S. Hines, who played Paul Sycamore, Gene Arthur's dad. He's the stepson of Grandpa. So basically, he's down in the basement making fireworks while his father-in-law is raising his daughters. Uh, that, was, that was something that I yeah. forgot to mention in the picks. What is yeah. this? What is this? Yeah, it was a, it's what, a, it's like, a patriarchal yeah. uh, household. You know, he's, he's, you know, it's a Barry grand Marshall. patriarchal household. Well, well, he's, he's, he's the head of the household. This, yeah, and he's you know. just this middleman who's training crows and making explosives in the basement. Dude, you're an LVP. I'm sorry, that, that's it. <clears throat> you made him just sound like Ted Kaczynski. <laughs> Well, we already established we're in the Manson yeah, ranch, so right? I think that's... He has the one like serious moment at the at the dinner when um, the mom is making fun of Mrs. Kirby <clears throat> for you know the spiritualism and her and yeah. her hobbies. But like that's so out of very undeveloped character. But that's so out of everything we know. Otherwise, he's just in the basement. Okay, and and here's my next. This is basically my point about it being undeveloped. Let's develop the character by having him not even be alive. Like 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 that 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 role should have been someone who passed away. You know, but then who's and, making the fireworks? The other, the other guy. guy. And he brings ice, in Poppins. The ice, we don't need the ice guy? <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. Ice or you, or you, have, you have two guys downstairs. He's picking up all these people in the park. That's you true. can have anyone. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it, should, um, yeah, it didn't have to be your fault. Yeah, okay, and, 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 you know, you add a little extra, a little extra, a little heart a little to the thing cult. by having someone not in the mix. I, yeah, I, I, it, having him in the mix was just weird. Because he me. wasn't like, really in the mix. Yeah, and he's like, he's got his whole family living in the house. And his suit didn't fit when they come up for the dinner... He couldn't find his pants. Like, where were yeah. his pants? Like, why don't you have pants, yeah. bro? If you're going to develop him that little, psst, kill him. Yeah, all right. And maybe there's a little stronger subtext here because it was lambasting that Gene Arthur's backstory wasn't super strong to explain why she's like the wet blanket. But, I mean, her she openly says, like, oh, my daddy thinks fireworks because he's still a kid at heart. Her mom is loopy as all get out. Like, she's freaking out that the, the cops actually have guns. So I, I think she's there's, like, some embarrassment over who her parents are that maybe cause her to be a little more down to earth. Oh maybe. Yeah. Participation award. We throw a little throw a little love, throw a little hardware for someone. Mike will have you go first this one. Who you who you give him a little love? Quick and easy because he was so close to being MVP, it's Lionel Barrymore. Like the mm. the two father figures, they carry the movie. I went um the judge, played by Harry Davenport. Was good. Yeah. I really <clears throat> you know yeah. what? I liked him. He could have gone he could have been a hard ass, he could have been like he would he really I had a really good time watching him and like watching him watch what was going on. I think he did a fantastic job with a very... He was there for a couple hours, and I think he hit it out of the park. It was a very small uh, role, but made a lot yeah. of that. I, I love the fun judge trope. Super sweet. Really, yeah, it was great. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, yeah. A, just, like a good dude. Like He appreciated how much everybody loved Grandpa. Like He, like he was in it. Like he, he, let, he let it go because he saw what it was, and yeah. I, I really... Really was a big fan. And of that. Love a good fun judge, whether it's my cousin Vinny, liar liar, <laughs> Oliver, Hugh Griffiths. The only role I've liked him in so far. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. You gotta love a good fun judge. Super sweet moment introducing him, where he like gives the kid thirty one days, but says he'll suspend thirty if he exactly. goes home to his parents. Yes, yeah, that's, yeah. Love that's it. great. I talked about how I didn't like his name, 
but Jim the Crow gives my participation <laughs> trophy. It's a hard worker. It's it you know what? Great crow acting. There's <laughs> some great crow acting in this Good movie. crow acting in uh, Crows are smarter than people realize in real life. And and that shows in this movie. I thought he was I thought he was great. <laughs> participation award for me. I I'm somewhat Leaning toward uh, Kalenkov, you know, I, I, he made me he made me smile a little bit. Um, I, I wanted to kind of go with the animals, all the animals, you yeah. know, the, the kitten, the crow, and the dog. But uh, Greg, you got there first, so I'm going to go a little up to, to Kalenkov. I love okay. it. It's a nice moment. The first thing he claims is magnificent is uh, Kirby's wrestling move back on him. It's a good payoff. Yes. Yeah. Scene in the movie here. I, I know, um, Mike, you shouted yours out already. Yours was uh, in the uh, the jail cell. The jail cell scene there. It was the jail, yep. Joe, how about you? Seen in the movie? The Kirby's coming a day early, leading up to it. Like, I, I enjoyed them coming in and the introductions yeah. and just the chaos of the moment. Mine was the, um, I mentioned this before, the uh, scene with Grandpa and Alice in the bedroom. Yeah, yeah uh, my runner-up. I, I, I thought that was um, great scene. Great, great little monologue and things like that. Loved it. I'm, I'm so happy you picked that, too, because it was like, it was, I was tough between that and the one that I picked, and I'm, I'm happy that got shouted out. And the one that I did pick, really, we didn't really talk about it yet, is um, the scene with, uh, with, with Jimmy Stewart and, uh, and Edward Arnold with Jimmy Stewart saying he's leaving the company. Um, yeah, that's good. That's good after all this kind of wacky chaos, that was like a real kind of human scene and a human moment and a believable, mm-hmm. I don't want to do this. Right. I'm not in on this anymore. I'm out. You know, I, I, there's other things that I was banking on and this and that. And you know what, Dad? Like, thank you for everything, but I'm out. And you could see Edwards Arnold and Edward Arnold's character really, like, kind of not just... That's the thing he's hurt is like a little... Is a little more... There's a little more to it than being hurt. It's a little bit like, I had all these plans. And he's a businessman who's only thinking about business right, and all his right. plans. And he didn't wasn't really thinking about a plan B and wasn't really leaning back on anything. To now have his son not be in the mix. And now the weight of everything that happened and, you know, all the conversation that they had in the jail. So I really thought that scene hammered home a lot, uh, a lot of good in this movie after a bunch of scenes that really did not make a whole ton of sense to me. Time machine recast time. Take anyone from any era, put them in the old DeLorean, the hot tub time machine, however you want to do it, the, uh, the Back to the Future refrigerator, uh, and send them back to 1938. Put them in this one. Joe, why don't you go first? Yeah, so Poppins is getting recast. I, I wonder uh, if you and... I wonder uh, if you... Because <laughs> I, 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 I had a backup for Poppins. I want to see where you, where you went with this. So I kept it in the same era. Oh, okay. Not right one. I went with Herbert Munden. Smith and Media on the Bounty, Bridges from Cavalcade. Okay. You know, someone who has a personality who I want to see do things. Oh, jeez, Joe. Um, <laughs> Herbert Munden's great. We do love Her- Herbert Munden here. Mike, welcome to the mix here. Time Machine Recasts. Where'd you go with this? So um, I'm also going to recast my LVP. I'm going to get rid of Charles Lane as the IRS auditor. Um, uh, Looper style, I'm going to send back Ian McGregor. He's just going to pop up. He's going to shoot Charles Lane and take his place. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm kind of coming off Obi Wan and just being reminded, like I like it when Ewan McGregor shows up in things, and I, I would like him to play this role of the auditor, but I want him to play it more quiet, like not a guy who's like outraged, like what do you mean you won't pay your taxes, but kind of somebody who's just like taken aback and doesn't really have like the authority to deal with it, so he's kind of more of like bumbling. So you know, Lyle Barrymore still gets to give like his great speech about where the taxes go on stuff, but instead of a guy who's just like, blah, 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 you get Ewan McGregor to kind of be mousy and, 
has to like crawl back to his boss because he has no idea what happened to him. That's great. I just just um, watched the Doctor Sleep director's cut and oh, nice. Ewan McGregor just crushes it. Nice. He crushes and the is the lead. Big fan one. of him. Yeah. yeah. I I went with my recast. I I, I recasted, uh, got rid of Clarence Wilson, and to uh, for the new John Blakely, I went with Stanley Tucci. Love it. That's great. Love it. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think yeah. I think he'd be a little, little little bit. He can do funny. He can do a little bit menacing. Uh, the eye twitch wouldn't be so overt that it would be um, cringy. So uh, yeah, I think you do a bang up job. It's awesome. I love that. Wow, love it. He also would have been great as the IRS guy too, Stanley Tucci. Mm-hmm. I think he could have yeah. played that role too. Uh, I could do whatever. I was, Joy, I was really hoping you'd pick Michael Jeter as Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know who Michael uh, Michael Jeter is he's uh, he was he was the prisoner with the mouse in, in uh, the Green Mile. Yes, yes. Uh, I thought he would be a good Poppins too. Cool. That works as well. <clears throat> I'm going to break some BPC rules here. I'm going to recast my participation award, which is frowned upon, mm-hmm. and I'm going to say that I have two recasts, which is very much frowned upon. Right, but you know what? You know we didn't like have, and I know, right but I just had us. like seven straight Artie episodes here, so I'm beans. getting, and we've already brought them up. Like I'm like having like separation anxiety, so I have to like kind of <laughs> do the uh, do the thing with it. But so yeah, but I I, I I had to say the 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 Russian recast just because there's a, a semi Frank Capertian in the remake of Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. The Adam Sandler, Mr. Yeah. Deeds. He plays a very similar type of role, and I think he would crush it in a movie like this. And if it ever came back and it was remade, it would be good. John Turturro yeah. as the Russian, I think, would be uh, would be really great. In that yeah. so it was just it was yeah. kind of similar enough yeah, where I felt really like fun. I had to okay. I had to pick that. But uh, I I thought about the judge Joe, and I really liked the judge character too. But I thought about it was kind of more about like what actor today do I think could pull that off the right way. And I came up with Alan Alda oh, okay. as right. it, you yeah. know, uh, he yeah. kind of just that old kind of soft-spoken, but has like that, that dry comedy right. to him. Uh, I, I thought he could have been a good, a good mix yeah. for the judge like there. That. So. Yeah, it's I good. Like that. good. Did you get your quote out, Mike? I, I didn't, but real quick, I, just because I don't want to take Grandpa's whole speech in the jail... My quote of the movie is his speech about uh, the isms, and not because I think like he's on to something there, but more I think like it's an interesting concept that has flaws, and it's the most I thought about, but his line about, why don't you write a play about ism mania, capitalism, communism, seems like every time something goes wrong, you just catch yourself an ism, and you're in business. I really liked that. It was quick, snappy. Yeah, I like, yeah it was good. I like that. That was, that was that was a runner-up for me. We added a couple new ones here, and one of them is is, is we always feel around here. Every movie could be a little bit shorter. I mean, we're over the two-hour mark with this kind of small rom-com deal. I, I certainly think that this one could be shorter. What did you do for the cutting room floor? What scene did we cut here from oh, this I know thing? What Joey went. I'll go first for this one, and I I have a couple quick ones. The newspaper real thing. I would have gotten rid of that. I thought that was completely unnecessary. Uh, I thought it added nothing uh, other than adding some stress onto her character. I guess I, I don't know. It, it was. I yeah, felt out of place. It's only like thirty seconds, though. Felt out of place. Yeah. And I would cut the yeah. whole fake the great rat zinger. Oh. Yep. The fake rat scene goes. I know yeah. the whole. You, the, you like the the Jimmy the, oh, the, the a scream. The, a scream. Oh, what, what did they use? Like the Wilhelm scream for that? Like what, what was it? What? <laughs> no, that wasn't Wilhelm. Scream. That was actually him screaming. I don't know. That that I oh, that, was... that I don't. I it bothered me that he ruined everybody's dinner and and the major D's. Evening, they probably got fired over that. I, the, the whole thing. I, I yeah. like them going to the park. Either go go from the park to to meet the parents, or meet the parents first. 
meet them there, kind of have them leave awkwardly, and then have the moment in the park where they have the kind of, hey, we don't need the, the, the upscale thing, and then plan the dinner from there. I thought I thought that whole thing went on a little long and could have been cut. So that that's just me. I, I really do like the interaction between them at the table, though. I wouldn't want to lose that. Mm. Yeah. If, if you can find a way to have that in there without uh, stuff. But it, it also does set the table for her not being accepted. To, yeah, no, I to do ha- want to keep them meeting the parents, but just mm-hmm. kind of shorten that and then have them... Scutter off, or or and then and then maybe then do the part scene afterward. But I don't know, uh, Mike. What, what about you? So I'm, I'm kind of torn here, but I'm going to go because I feel like the movie is stronger if you lean more heavily into it being Kirby and Grandpa's story. Let's let's cut down the romance angle a bit. So I thought about the fake rat scene. I'm actually going to say cut the proposal scene. You do have to move the line about Jimmy Stewart saying like. I have them wrapped around my finger. If I ever want anything in my life, all I had to do was scream. Like you do have to put that somewhere else, but the rest of that scene, it doesn't do much. Like we already get the chemistry laid out with the scene earlier with the phone and his mom walking in. So I think we can cut most of this scene about him explaining. I told my mom I was going to marry you. So if you dig around in here, there's a proposal somewhere. I, I say cut that. So we get the romance subplot a little more lean and focus on the big redemptive arc between the two patriarchs. I like that a lot. Okay. I like, that's a great answer. That's I think where that's I a great went answer. to. Yo, I think oh yeah, Joey wow. too. Yeah, that, that yeah. was my whole thing too. I think that's where wow. it kind of, we could have cut it out and made it cleaner. A lot of retreading there. Yeah. There's a lot of retreading there. Yeah. Grant, how about you? I went uh, towards the end before the interaction between Kirby and Ramsey, all of Kirby's like yes men getting together and patting themselves on the back you did not need that. Agreed. Um, yeah, so just you know, cut, cut out those five minutes. Okay. Yeah, this was where I was going. I was going to say I'm surprised nobody said the Ramsey scene because I think a lot of that you kind of get with the speech in the jail that Grandpa makes where the title comes from. Yeah. So it, it does go a little too melodramatic with Ramsey. It's a weird scene, too, because... Because yeah, because the guy who plays Ramsey, I'm like Kieran when you said like you kind of admired how they shot that. It drove me crazy how it was always on the back of his head. Because the actor who plays Ramsey is a guy named H. B. Warner. He was nominated for an Oscar for Frank Capra's movie right before this, Lost Horizon. So it kind of smacks as like a cameo bit. It's you know it's like De Niro coming into American Hustle for a scene. But I was like, and, and you're not even going to show his face. Like, don't tell me this guy couldn't learn the lines or whatever. Like, he was nominated for an Oscar a year before this. But then, yeah, it goes very into the melodramatic. He he sells it for sure, but that was one I was tempted to remove. Uh, but I decided to go yeah. with getting some more of the romance out. Yeah, all right. I think you guys swayed me on that on that one a little bit. Yeah, and and I guess some people do love the Jimmy Stewart scream line. Yeah, yeah I think that's important. Twitter questions. We don't have many, uh, but we do have a big one, and it's from our buddy Adam over at uh, Rewind and One Thousand and One. We want to talk Jimmy Stewart's Mount Rushmore, oh, and boy. now there he did add an extra caveat that he DM'd oh, me great. here before this. We're only allowed to pick one Capra. We're only allowed to pick one Hitchcock. So you have to build around that. Now, I think I have mine. Mm, so boy. if you guys uh, want to think, uh, why don't we talk about why don't we talk about the Hitchcock we'd pick first? I, I would go rear window. I mean, I kind of put that out there earlier. Well, first, I want to say I'm really upset at Adam because this is like the hardest question I've had answered in a long time. But this this is good because I did set that criteria of limiting it to one director, and a Hitchcock definitely came up. I'm ultimately going to go with Rear Window as well. I, I think maybe Vertigo is the stronger 
performance, but the you know LB Jeffries is great in Rear Window, and Rear Window is the superior movie in my opinion. So I'm I'm gonna go with LB Jeffries from Rear Window for my Hitchcock pick. Yeah, same with me. I won Rear Window as well. Uh, love me some vertigo, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's rear window for me. Making it not making it unanimous. All right, so we can lock yeah. that in. The BPC okay. uh, official official uh, Hitchcock Stewart head is rear window. Let's talk Capra, and I guess I'll go first because I feel like we might be similar here in this one. Is I'm going to go with It's a Wonderful <laughs> Life. I think that's kind of pretty obvious. I am too. Uh, we're all good on that yeah, one. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. It's George um, Bailey. Mr. Smith uh, is really really tempting though, but. It's got to be George Bailey. Yeah, the next one I'm going to propose, which will be on mine, is just because I kind of have to go with the technicals myself. His Oscar win for Philadelphia Story, mm. I, I feel like that kind of has to be on there. I know so and, many people believe that like that shouldn't have been the one he should win for, but I think you still have to respect the hardware a bit. If, if that's the one you get the Oscar for, that deserves from Mount Rushmore. Yeah. I've never yeah. seen it, but I think that's, that's hard, yeah. Do we have any arguments there on that one? Yeah, I... <sighs> Oh, uh, you know what? No, I'm gonna add it as my fourth slot because we and we Cinemus has done a, a Philadelphia show episode and he's great. I still his drunken diatribe is fantastic. Cool. So then, what is your what is your other slot then, Mike? So so my other slot was he's he's got to get in there for one of his westerns and probably one of his Anthony Mann westerns. And I'm torn again between like, do I go from the one that's the movie I like more or the one that has the meteor performance? And since I followed the movie for the Hitchcock one, I'll do it for this. I'm going to go with Winchester 73. Cool. Cool. Not one I'm familiar with. Uh, one I should check out. Absolutely. So so Winchester 73, it's an Anthony Mann Western. It's about it's about this gun, a Winchester 73. And Jimmy Stewart is this mysterious guy who rides into town. He wins it in a shooting contest. He's like a crack shot. You think like that stereotype, the guy that like shoots pennies out of the air. That's him in the movie. And um, Jimmy, I'll admit, like, I was conflicted on picking this or The Man from Laramie because Jimmy Stewart actually disappears for a while from Winchester 73. But I'm going to pick it because I, I like it more as a movie, but also it's kind of one of the first movies that showed me Jimmy Stewart could have a dark side, which was kind of his thing after he got back from World War II. And pairs nicely because Philadelphia Story is pre-World War II before he shipped off, and there's some whimsy there. So you kind of have like this nice pairing when he comes back. He's a little bit gruffer in this character in like the old West, who's like a killer for hire kind of like kind of shows he was a guy who was capable of more than just like the aw shucks attitude. Top ten western for me. Oh hell yeah, that might be an episode coming up too. Top top westerns. We have uh, we have some westerns to cover Ooh. here in in the near future. I think there's a little a little teaser there for a possible upcoming episodes. Please make it happen. Um, I'm going to, you know, this is kind of this my ignorant throw one out a little bit um, just because there's probably like uh, there's people out there who are more familiar with his filmography for me, but I'm going to put on there what I've I've heard him quoted as his favorite movie of or or his favorite performance and and movie that he's been in. And uh, that is one he was nominated for but did not win, and that's Harvey. So that's one where he has the uh, uh, the imaginary rabbit, right. Right. and people think that he's he's losing his mind. I know he's he's loved that movie and considered that one of his best performances. So I'm going to kind of defer to the man himself. And, yeah, uh, and I was, was going to say Harvey also. Cool. Yeah. yeah. For me, I was going to put Anatomy of a Murderer. All right. Yeah, that was the other I big, really the like big that one movie. on there. I like you. Yeah. 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 That was another. Yeah. Cool. All right. There we go. There we go for that. Um, and I have one. I have one last one last Twitter question here because it's just I, I had to the the incomparable Zeta Short, uh, who just the way she words some of these questions is just truly genius. Um, and Zeta Short writes, "Is Grandpa an evil libertarian?" <laughs> <laughs> I think 
maybe we'll just leave that as a rhetorical question, but I had to get the wording out there because I, I just was I, laughing for hours and hours. Yeah, I mean, there's... I mean, he is not evil by any stretch. We did compare him He's to naive. Charles Manson a couple times. But. We compared him to... <laughs> oh, yeah. Great question. Yes, thank you very much, yes. Cedar, for your for your question. As always. Colorful. Recommends next before we... Uh, we, we Talk about the other nominees quick and then send it home. Mikey, you're still alive out there. You've, you've been in the, for the BPC long haul here. Um, are you still alive and kicking out there out west? It's not mid. I'm fine. It's not midnight where I'm at. All right. I love it. I love it. If you just watched, can't take it with you, whether you loved it, whether you hated it, whatever it is. Which, so you, you do double features over there at Cinemas. Uh, you're one of the places where I got this idea for this section four, so I, I would, I'm, I'm honored to kick it off to you and have you pick. Well, if, if you stole this from us, it only fits that I give it as a throwback to the guy i stole it from our friend adam who gave us that wonderful mount rushmore question um uh when we did the the graduate episode we were talking mike nichols a lot and i realized i don't i haven't seen a lot of mike nichols movies so my my recommend with this is going to be his movie the birdcage another let's meet some eccentric in-laws and um circumstances are going to get very coincidental for the sake of plot and tension but uh, super fun. I mean, you got you got Robin Williams, you got Nathan Lane, you got Gene Hackman. Mike Nichols is at the helm. Really enjoyable. Really liked it. Not totally contemporary, but bringing it a little more closer to our day and age as well. Love, love awesome. the birdcage. Gene, love Gene the birdcage. Gene Hackman would have been a great AP Kirby. <laughs> yes, he would have. Yes, so great. Oh AP yeah. Kirby. Yes, he would have. Great call, Joey. What sort else? of dark corner of the world did you go to? <laughs> Not too bad. So what I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the community coming together, right? And I went with Lars and the Real Girl. Because the entire community mm-hmm. joins together to help him through his delusion. I haven't seen it. It's a great yeah, movie. I, yeah, I love it. Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Your favorite. Love. Yeah, you love your, your Ryan Gosling. Yeah, so he, you know, he has a, um, like a real doll. Like a mannequin oh, wife. Okay. And the whole community, like, joins in with his, because he's, you know, socially stunted man and the whole community kind of helps him trying to hope that feeding into the the delusion the delusion helps him it's a very good movie okay awesome all right we'll have to check that one out uh grant um i went with uh a movie with similar themes of a an oddball family yet beloved and a ruthless real estate developer coming in to try to buy the house out from underneath and uh, hilarity ensues. I went with the Brady Bunch movie. <laughs> wow, that's amazing! <laughs> wow, and oh, there are definite parallels between the two, <laughs> and I will not hear any different. I I love it, Grant. It's fantastic. We talk, we mentioned this director earlier. And we talked about Shane uh, George Stevens is kind of a director that I've discovered through this podcast that. You know, you see one or two of someone's movies, and then a third, and you're like, "Oh wow, this is the director that I'm definitely into." And I got to see out, seek out the rest of the movies. And I had a, believe it or not, I had a few of his movies I was looking at. But I'm actually going to throw the clock back on this one, uh, 1938. We're going to go back even further, wow. and I'm going to go to 1935's Alice Adams, directed by George Stevens, starring Katherine Hepburn. Uh, she was nominated for for Best Actress and lost to Betty Davis who would win this year as well in, in, in Jezebel, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, but Alice Adams, Kepburn basically plays a similar type of situation where she's the daughter in the family who's a little lower class, and she's dating Fred McMurray, 
uh, who from Double Indemnity. I know Grant, mm-hmm. that's one of your yeah. your favorites, and um, he's also in the apartment. We'll see him a little later on when we get to that movie. A great Fred McMurray performance, a great Catherine Hepburn performance, and Catherine Hepburn kind of gets her family to uh, to try to like conform a little bit to the upper class, even though they're in the middle class, and and. Uh, George Stevens loves kind of doing those class structure stories, and um, it's 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 totally worth checking out. It's an easy 1935 watch. Uh, was nominated for Best Picture, Lost to Mutiny and the Bounty. Uh, one one I one I recommend. So Alice Adams is is my recommend here for okay. for this one. We're gonna do our BPC calculator. How we rate these one to five. The first section is performances. So one being the lowest, five being the highest. Second section is how the movie's shot, how it's presented on screen. All those sorts of technicals, one being the lowest, five being the highest. And then finally, themes, how they're delivered, the script, the story, all that sort of stuff. We'll start with performances, and I'll start with you, Joe. On four here. Okay. I think uh, between Lionel Barrymore, um, you know, Kirby, the Kirby family, Alice, I think they did a really good job. I think this movie could have been too much of a play, too comic-y, and I think the performances really nailed a lot of things. Yeah, I'm going to uh, echo that, Joe, with a four for performances. I, I do think it's it's really strong. And um, even in LVPs, it wasn't about what any actor did. It was just about kind of how it was written or what it was done there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't think it's a five. I don't think it's like anyone should walk away with an Oscar. <laughs> but I'm, I'm good with a four. And we, get a, and we get a wonderful representation of Jimmy Stewart in here, too, which, is, yeah. which I feel great about. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you guys, four. Yeah. Um, nothing that's. Oh my God! You have to watch this performance. Nothing at that level, but it's it's better than standard. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's better, and for for the most part, I mean, like secondary actors are you know you're not going to blow your socks off, but right. the principal actors feel like do a, a great job. Yeah. yeah. Mike, how about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm like a 3.5, so I bump that up to 4 as well. Same things, like some of the side performances okay. didn't do it, but I think Lionel Barrymore and uh, Mr. Kirby bounce it up. Next is how it's shot, how it's delivered. Uh, I will go first. Uh, you know, um, I hate to do this, but I'm going to go with a 2 here. Uh, I, I, you know, I know we talked a little bit about cinematography, and uh, I just kind of don't... I did like the set design. I did think that that maybe could have could have been um looked at for a nomination but i didn't get i didn't fully get the cinematography nomination it just isn't what i'm looking for visually in a movie i know it's constrained by the time a little bit but i i thought it was a little less than what i was expecting so two i did uh i went with a three for this i i just certain scene like in in the house i do feel like they did a very good job um nothing spectacular but I think, I think they made things work, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know I, I believed every place we were. Nothing, nothing felt you know one dimensional. Yeah, I'm, I'm going I'm to give it a three. Also, um, I think there were moments where uh, some really clever things stood out, like the elevator closing, then the cabinets opening up. But other than that, it was it, it felt it felt pretty standard to me. Yeah, I mean it's it, serviceable, right? It was serviceable, just, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm also like three point five, but I'll round down to three because I don't want to go up. I'm I'm really critical of film film adaptations of plays. I don't think cinematography usually is very creative, and I thought this one did a very good job, even in parts where it was overtly adapting a play, where it's you know a twelve minute scene in one room. Uh, it wasn't bothering me. I thought they were doing enough with their cinematography, so I'll, I'll go with three on that. And finally, uh, stories, themes, how they're delivered, all that stuff. Uh, we'll guess Grant will go with you first. Uh, I won three also. Capra was 
as was like Andre the Giant so heavy handed. <laughs> it was just like it was the heaviest hand I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. So you know it, it doesn't. You know they 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 re really beat you over the head with the message uh, to the point where it's distracting. Yeah, and that's every reason. A lot of that, what you said, and I'll just go a little further with it. That's why it's going to be a two for me. Okay. Um, I kind of think it was a complete mess as far as that. Thematically, I think it's a complete mess. I liked the interaction and the exchange between the characters. There were some nice moments of script writing there, which is going to float a little bit. And I do think this movie has something to say. So that's why it would never be considered a one for me. But I just think that when you have something to say and you convolute it with so much noise and so much over the top, because when you're, you're over the top and it's not even fully clear, and Mike, you brought this up a couple times, he's like, I, I kind of see where Capra was going with this, but all at the same time, I don't know what he was trying to do here. When you're heavy-handed and it's also not fully clear what you're trying to say, that kind of doesn't work for me a little bit. So, I, I, so it's a two. That's a two. It's not a, it's not a one because I do think that there was some some thought behind it, but it, it's going to be a two. For yeah. Me. yeah. Mike, how about you? I'll go three, uh, but to bounce off that, I, I actually think it's incredibly clear what he wants to say. I just don't think it goes deep enough into the, the problems that presents. Like, wouldn't America be great if everybody just did what they want for fun and – Capra's way around that of not having to address like the dark side of that is he kind of makes model citizens like I said like his people who quit their jobs and go do fun are still people who work and like are kind to each other and want to produce something they're not just lazy um so I I think like he knew what he was trying to present I think he overtly presented it but it just didn't go tons deeper but I'm a part of the fan club so I'll give it a three cool and Joe how about you uh two um, he clearly had something to say, but I feel like there was a lack of commitment to everything saying, so yeah. I, I had to go two. There's enough where, you know, a one would be ridiculous. I wanted yeah, right. to give it a yeah, three. Yeah, one is way too harsh. Right. I wanted to give it a three, but I just feel like he didn't commit. Yeah. A, little, a little sloppy. Um, okay, this kind of new section, and this is, ties into some of the areas we just talked about, uh, was nominated for seven Oscars. So, Mike, I'm going to ask you, if you were to give it only one Oscar that it was nominated for, along with Best Picture, which the Academy did do for this one, believe it or not, only won two Oscars. Mm-hmm. Of the ones it was nominated, which one you pick? And if it won every Oscar that it was nominated for, except for one which is the one that you'd be okay with punting? Just supporting actress. Yeah, yeah. She, I, I, that's not a that's not a nominated role in any year. It's ever. a very curious nomination, and I think it kind of goes back to something Mike you said in the very beginning of this podcast. Is sometimes they just have to fill out these categories, right. and I think they're like, "Up, oh, Frank Capra yeah. movie, uh, right. big script. Let's pick someone." Yeah. And they picked her. Um, so, yeah, that would be my choice too. Oh, oh let me read. I should not uh, just let me read it off for the people here. So, uh, nominated for best picture, best director. Best Writing, Best Cinematography, Best Actress in a Supporting Role, Spring Byington, Best Film Editing, Best Sound. Yeah, I'm going to agree, uh, Supporting Actress for Spring Byington, which which is very funny. This comes kind of full circle for me because the woman who wins is Faye Bainter or Jezebel, and on Cinemas we've done a episode on Jezebel, and on the episode I said, I like Faye Bainter a lot in this, but I don't know if this is a winning performance and uh my co-host on that the incomparable max burrell made some good points having seen now some of her competition because i haven't seen any of the other nominees very clear to me why faye bainter would definitely win in this category because there is absolutely no competition here with uh the woman playing penny great 
same. Clean sweep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, now this is this is this is interesting here. Um, if it were to only win one, okay, again, director, writing, cinematography, actress, film editing, and sound, and it only did win one director, is anyone here going to switch that out for another one? So are we switching director to Capra out for another word? Joey, you're kind of shaking your no, head. No, I'm not. You're keeping, yeah, keeping keep Capra's Capra. win there. If I had to pick, I'd see editing, but I would, I would, I would keep with Capra. Okay, you, you tell me if this is permitted. I want to swap him out, but more so because I want somebody else to get director. Is this allowed? Okay, you want it to, you want it to go to Weiler? No, I want it to go to Michael Curtiz for Angels with Dirty Faces. Oh, cool. And I just got to say, Angels with Dirty Faces, this James Cagney film, I think just to tie into another... BP episode. Mm-hmm. It has to be the inspiration for Angels yeah. with Filthy Souls right. from uh, the, the fake the fake movie from Home Alone. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. so that's that's great. Okay, so um, yeah, if you want to do normally, we kind of work in a in a vacuum. But yeah, where would you do it? Yeah, so I think I'll give it to the script. I you know the I don't know how much of it comes from the play and how much um, the screenwriters are pitching in, but I like Robert Riskin a lot, and I you know it speaks to some lines that were nitpicked earlier i, I kind of like the how do who provides for you the same one who provides the lilies of the field there's there's some poetry there's some like snappy 30s dialogue here that i'm a sucker for uh so i think i'd swap it out for that so that michael curtis can get best director cool i like that and um you know I, I should say that i don't you know when we're picking these you don't necessarily know all the other nominees so it's not about it's not about saying like oh this other one definitely should win or not uh, I do like the idea that you know that you wanted to get helps, to go yeah. someone, so you, you take it. I, I like that. Uh, Grant, well my OCD said. Nerdness. The, I, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Grant, the film editing is a good call, man. It really, like, there was some slick yeah. film editing oh, in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, I think this would be a cool one to win editing and picture only. That would be pretty nice. Um, so I, I kind of like. <laughs> Um, I my answer was Capra, but I think you might you yeah. might have you have me intrigued with that. That was my kind of a cool. Yeah, real quick, one to ninety two. Where do you think this is gonna gonna end up <sighs> for you guys, Mike? I don't know how many best picture winners you've seen, but if you're just in a world where you've seen all ninety four of them, you, where do you think this one ends up? Uh, I see this like middle or lower middle of the pack, like in the fifties. Yeah, I would think maybe forties. Mid fifties, low sixties. Well, you guys are probably being a little more kind than I would be. Yeah, um, I think we are. Yeah, I, I put uh, fifty-seven. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So you're all you all three. Of you guys are kind of in the same boat with that. So you're going like like on the, on the upper part of the yeah, back 55 half. Fifty-five to sixty-five in there. Though. Yeah. For me, this is going to be right before all the ones that I I don't like at all. Oh wow! Like okay. uh, like. I, right. I don't dislike this movie. I just I'm I'm in fear of forgetting it after we cover two more of these. Like you already, you already did once. Yeah, you did. Yeah, so I know. Yeah. Am I in Grand Hotel too? Another one where it's like this is a perfectly fine, competent movie, but I think there's going to be that bracket of movies that I actively don't like and don't think are good at all. And there's probably ten to fifteen of those. And I think this is going to be in that next crew right along there with with Grand Hotel and. And some of the other kind of benign Best Picture winners. Okay, this is uh, not a Who Should Have Won podcast. We do have a bunch of movies here that were nominated sure. for Best Picture. We do like to uh, at least recognize them. Yeah, Joey, I'm going to have you uh, kick one off first. First, we have Alexander's Ragtime Band. This send-up of ragtime song and dance begins in 1915 San Francisco when society boy Roger Grant decides to pursue popular music rather than serious music. 
starring Tyrone Power, Elise, Alice Faye, Donna Mesh, directed by Henry King. Does... Yeah, I think when we talk about movies from the 30s that just go forgotten, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's no one doing yeah. high school productions of that. Or the, this, There this is this weird obsession with musicals back then, like, not like... Sound of music musicals, like right. like people I mean, on stage tap dancing musicals, like yeah. So, uh, Mike, yeah. any familiarity with that one at all? Not none at all. Yeah. Uh, so we can move on to the next one, which is Four Daughters, directed by Michael Curtis. A musician is blessed with four musical prodigies, all girls, and cursed when a troubled young composer enters the lives of the four daughters. Does have our boy John Garfield? Was I know we we constantly talk a little smack about. Uh, gentlemen's agreement, but we do agree that the performances in that were some of the individual parts were pretty strong. Cast, yeah, yeah, and and John Garfield is uh, one of yeah, them. Yeah, so. uh, Celeste Holm and yeah. John Garfield were great in that movie. Claude Rains in the mix there for that too. Thoughts on that one, Mike? Have you seen that one? No, would love to as a, a Michael Curtiz fan, uh, but I haven't seen Four Daughters either. Ninety minutes, clean watch. Boys Town. When a death row prisoner tells him, when a death row prisoner. Tells him he wouldn't have led a life of crime if only he had one friend as a child. Father Edward Flanagan decides to start a home for young boys. Starring Spencer Tracy, Mickey Rooney, Henry Hull, Leslie Fenton, directed by Norman Torag. That is a Spencer Tracy win, too. And not just a Spencer Tracy win, but he's got back-to-backers, which is only done one other time. And that's Tom Hanks with Philadelphia and Forrest Gump. Boys Town, Mike, any familiarity? Haven't seen it, but I bear slight ill will towards it just based on the concept because as I teased, I know this isn't a Who Should Have Won podcast, Karen, but you didn't say anything about it not being a Who Should Have Been Nominated. Angels with Dirty Faces is the movie of the year here, and the fact it didn't get a Best Picture nomination is a travesty. It has a very similar story here. The, you know, oh, the the wayward youths, and if they only had, like, an example, wouldn't things be better? So I need to see Boys Town before I can totally commit to this critique. But uh, James Cagney, I gotta say, probably kicks the crap out of Spencer Tracy. <laughs> Love it. Test pilot. Good title. I Give do like it. Jim is a test pilot. His wife, Anne, and best friend, Gunner, it's a good start, uh, try their best to keep him sober. But the life of the test pilot is anything but safe. Wow. Well, you know what? I think I'm in. Okay. Clark Gable, too. It's getting better by the second here. Spencer Tracy is yeah. uh, in this one. Victor Fleming is directing. I love me some Victor Fleming. Victor Fleming, director of Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz, sort of. I think there was like well, five yeah, directors. He, he directed, like, he directed like, the first five minutes of Wizard of Oz. Right. Nominated for three Oscars. Yeah, okay. You know? Sounds like something I'd, I'd dabble with. That plot summary started with me saying, like, I wish you'd just stop. Like, Jim is a test pilot, and that's the only thing. But then, like, the movie <laughs> got more and more interesting, and now I actually want to see it. it. Keep him it. wanting more. The Citadel. An enthusiastic young doctor happily embarks on his career. But it isn't long before he finds out what being a doctor really entails. Starring Robert Dinat, Rosalind Russell, Ralph Richard, Rex Harrison, directed by King Vidor. Rob Schneider is a doctor, and he's about to find out that a doctor is not everything he thought it would be. Rob Schneider is the doctor. And the Citadel, the stapler. Uh, no, I don't mean to belittle the Citadel, but I, I, I got nothing First else, he was but. a hot chick. Then he was a doctor. Now to derp de derp derp. Okay. Uh, this is probably maybe the most prestigious movie, the mix, dare I say. La Grande Illusion. Okay. The Grand Illusion. The first ever foreign film nominated for Best Picture in 1938. Look at that. There we go. Directed by 
Jean Renoir. Renoir? Renoir. Jean Renoir. He's got Noir in his name. I should know how to pronounce that. Um, <laughs> during World War II, two French soldiers are captured and imprisoned in a German POW camp. Several escape attempts follow until they are eventually sent to a seemingly inescapable fortress. I gotta say about, about the, the Grand Illusion. I saw The Grand Illusion. I'm like, oh my god, this was the first foreign film ever. This is perfect. Like, I, I, I haven't seen this. This is a great opportunity to do this. I read the description... POWs? No, no, no more of this. Like I can't do this anymore. All right, we got we got, we got Lawrence being fucking accosted, and 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 we got Russian roulette. And I'm done with POWs. I'm done with this. Give me give, give me Southern bells. All right, I, I can't I can't do it anymore. So no, I did not watch Le Grand Illusion. Um, I'm sorry. It's uh, a great I'm movie. Sure, it's wonderful. I need I need separation. Uh, Mike, you seen it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a great movie, and it, it's maybe a little more low key. It's it's been a long time, so it's almost like I haven't seen it. But it, it's a lot of like Jean Renoir's big into like class things, so a lot of it is like the POW is kind of sitting at dinner and talking with the commandant. But there's still the element of escape and everything. It, it's a great movie. You should check it out sometime. Only nominated for Best Picture, too. Kind of a rare, oh, wow. uh, a rare little stat there. No, Grant, I'm sorry. I, I skipped over you on a few of these here because I, I don't know if you've seen these. But this is one that you have seen here. I believe it's on uh, a recommendation from Zeta Short, who we mentioned before. It's Pygmalion. Uh, John oh, Rudolph yeah. Pygmalion. Pygmalion, a phonetics and diction expert, makes a bet that he can teach a cockney flower girl to speak proper English who passes a lady in high society. Starring Leslie Howard and Wendy Hiller, directed by Anthony Asquith and Leslie Howard. Grant, kick it off. I know you're, uh, you're, this, uh, you've seen this one recently. This Fresh movie is so much better than My Fair Lady. It's not even funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't say. No, because, yeah, I remember watching My Fair Lady and, and going on Twitter and, and tearing it apart. And Zito was like, well, you should watch Pygmalion, because that's like the movie version. That's like the regular version of that. I'm like, and I, I watched it. And I really, really enjoyed it. I thought, it was, I thought it was very good. We'll do plenty of talking about this one when we get to My Fair Lady, because uh, My Fair Lady was the Best Picture winner, yeah. and I, I have a feeling it's going to be a whipping post, because we have a growing contingent mm-hmm. of Doctor Strangelove fans oh, yeah. in, in oh, Best Picture guest camp. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's, oh, yeah. that is, uh, that I, one's... I feel, yeah. I, that, now I feel bad for My Fair Lady. Yeah, that's, that's, Fair that was in trouble. It is, it is going to get... Torn to, it's going to get the Poppins treatment. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Poppins. Not Mary Poppins, who Joy loves. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to need a walrus mask, I think, uh, to get itself. I guess it's going to get the Mr. Poppins Yes. Okay, uh, two left here. This is one of the uh, like the ten nominee years. And I'm going to read off one that i got to say would have been my choice for Best Picture winner this year because it's just a goddamn mm. wonderful movie, and that is The Adventures of Robin Hood. Uh, when Prince John and Norman yeah. Lords begin oppressing the Saxon masses in King Richard's absence in 1190s England, a Saxon lord fights back as the outlaw leader of a resistance movement. This is basically the story of Robin Hood, which I'm sure we know by now. Um, shame on me for saying that they didn't have color movies back in 1938, because this is a color movie, and this is a beautiful movie. The costume design, the cinematography, uh, the wonderful performance from Errol Flynn, the beautiful and endlessly talented Olivia de Havilland. If you haven't seen The Adventures of Robin Hood, you got to go out and check it out. It's my second favorite incarnation of, of Robin Hood behind Disney's cartoon. animated. Yes, of course. It's not a cartoon. It's an animated film. It's Grant, a cartoon, come on but now. it's still very good. 
Joey, Joey uh, Grant. I, I haven't seen it. seen it. Oh, guys, awesome! I'm ha- I'm excited for you that you haven't seen it. It's so entertaining for a movie in 1938. Uh, Mike, you've seen? Oh yeah, barrel of fun. It's awesome. Yeah, just every every bit of entertaining. You know, you're you're in it from the second. A lot of fun. You do have to go in with the contract. Like you do have to understand. Like it's made to show off Technicolor. So like the. The set design and the costumes are supposed to be bombastic, and it, it is like the stereotypical one of those movies where the fights aren't choreographed super great. I think there's a part where he picks up like a bench that seats like three people yeah. with one hand and just like throws it into a bunch of guys who fall down. And it, it's that stereotypical movie of like, you know, the hero like stabs a guy in the heart, and then 15 seconds later he's got his hands on his hips going, ha 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 ha. But it's so much fun. It's a great movie. <laughs> I, I watched it because I, I covered, uh, we'll go back to Zeta Short again, I, I covered Ivanhoe. Um, right. with her on our 300 Passions podcast. And we had a fun conversation about that. Not not a very good movie. But kind of like a Robin Hood adjacent story. Sure. And I had had this one recommended to me a bunch of times. So I'm like, this is what better time to watch it than now. And at the end of that, I was like, don't watch Ivan Hall. Watch Adventures of Robin Hood because it's it's so worth it and uh, a lot of fun. And, and Olivia to have one, just, uh, just a wonderful actress too. So... Um, okay, one left, Joe. Bring it to us. Uh, Jezebel in 1850s Louisiana. A free-spirited Southern Belle loses her fiancé due to her stubborn vanity and pride and vows to win him back. Starring John Littell, Gordon Oliver, Janet Shaw, Teresa Harris, Betty Davis, and Henry Fonda, and directed by William Wyler. Yes, BPC legend William Wyler, the potential Hall of Fame yeah. candidate here. Uh, and uh, uh, Betty Davis win. Her second. Uh, Mike, I'll kick it off to you. Uh, you have an episode, a Cinemas episode on this one. This is one that I watched for this podcast. Yeah. I'm, I'm fresh on it. I listened to your episode today, so we'll kick us off with it. Yeah, I, was, I, have episode, I have an episode on it, so I've talked a lot about Jezebel enough. But um, I like Jezebel. I, the first time I saw it, I absolutely hated it. Um, if the plot sounds like a Gone with the Wind knockoff, it is. It's a movie that was overtly made because they heard, like, Gone with the Wind's going into production. We need to get something out quick to cash on the success before Selznick, or, uh, yeah, takes everything. Um, but this rewatch I did for the episode with Max Barrill, he, you know, he got me to appreciate William Wyler a lot more and his talent. Um, Betty Davis, super well-deserved win on that. She knocks it out of the park with Jezebel. Um, Henry Fonda's a disappointment, but the supporting guy whose name i forget now he he plays like the the slighted love interest like the guy she who wants to be with her but she doesn't want to be with him he knocks it out of the park it's it's a great performance movie there's a lot of beautiful structural symmetry to it um i have grown to appreciate jezebel a whole heck of a lot more from my first encounter with it yeah i loved your guys conversation on it i mean we were you know even though you guys were kind of debating strongly and going back and forth, I found myself kind of agreeing with both of you and uh, oh, totally agree about Harry Fonda. I mean, to, and you guys are bragging on his haircut, which is hilarious to me. He's like, a, he has like the, uh, when you're like, atrocious. you have short hair and you're trying, yeah, you're like, you have the short hair and you're trying to grow out long hair, that awkward stage. That middle. Yeah. That's what he has for the movie. And it's just this weird thing. Such and, a handsome dude. Yeah, too. And <laughs> the other side of it too is this, that like, you know, like I'm watching and it's like, oh, Henry Fonda, cool. And, like, I'm watching, like, juror number eight try to be, like, a southern gentleman. And it was like, this doesn't make sense. And then, like, the second half of the movie, he starts to, like, preach northern values. And I'm like, all right, this makes more sense, but I don't know that I... 
I don't know that I'm vibing with this. Like, okay. it, it, it's it's kind of his. It's not a good performance, is what it comes down to. Okay. You guys, you guys say that pretty well in the episode. And he's, you know, not 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 crushing the southern accent, great, and and all that. So it it was kind of weird watching Henry Fonda struggle a little bit because I think everything else I've seen right. him in, he's been aces. Uh, but Betty Davis, just is you know, it's an all time performance. It's yeah. an all time performance, and uh, William Wyler, of course. Uh, there's weird connective tissue with like you have this into Gone with the Wind, as Mike said, and this is very much like Gone with the Wind light. You know, it's yeah. it's 90 minutes, you know, or, right. or maybe or, or maybe 145, and then the next year is Gone with the Wind, and then the next year you have you know there's 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 that um, period where they're pro- trying to produce How Green Was My Valley and make it like a Gone with oh, the Wind yeah. and have William Wyler direct it. While Grapes of Wrath is going on, and John Ford is directing Henry Fonda, and then the year after that they finally come out with it, but it switches to John Ford, and it's the smaller scale, and then you have um, Donald Crisp, who's in Jezebel, and it's this weird connective tissue with these studio. I think the studios were just so, back then, so um, so tight with that, but uh, worth, worth checking out, Jezebel. It was on HBO Max for a while, I don't think it's on there now, but hopefully it'll be popped back on again. Check out that episode. Of Cinemas. Check out Cinemas in general. It's a wonderful podcast. Mike, thank you so much for joining us for this. This was was fantastic. Mike, you're the man. Yeah, great stuff. Plug Cinemas again. Tell people where they can find it, where they can talk to you. Yeah, anywhere you're listening to podcasts. Uh, the show is spelled C-I-N-E-M-U-S-T-S. I'd love to have people not only listening, but pitching in on our Twitter and Instagram polls every time we do a new episode. It's on everybody out there on the internet to decide if it makes the must-see movie list. Um, you guys have a great track record. Kieran, Willy Wonka, Brief Encounter both made the essential movies list grant snow white made it joey uh chinatown made it so lots of good stuff coming especially when i have you guys back hell yes mike thank you so much for joining us joey grant closing thoughts any any goodbyes you want to say um you know I'll, i'll just say jimmy stewart's the man and mike anytime recording with you is a blast love you dudes absolutely great yeah uh mike thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate it and uh go watch the Brady bunch movie Yes, there you go. Yeah. Yes, and uh, and maybe you you can't take it with you, but you can take Best Picture Cast with you if you download. You don't need the Wi-Fi. You don't need the LG. Just download, and you can take it with you. There we go. We'll end with a plug with that. There you go. See you guys next week. Take it with you.